For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Okay, Don Morty dominate all of the papers this morning. They really and truly do. They have to get rid of one in five jobs. It'll cost over 40 million in redundancy. Uh, and staff are very angry because, of course, where do they hear about these things? Only in the news and in the media. So they got to lose these jobs, 400. It's part of this big um, Director General's plan to save the broadcaster, save it from what, I don't know. Many feel that it should be able to sink or swim on its own two feet, but that's probably for another day. So they're looking at 20% of the staff, 1,800 of them. I don't know whether the 1,800 figure includes or doesn't include contract workers, or it's that everybody, contract and indeed those that are actually staff. Uh, but um, Tuberty is gone, says Fionn Sheehan this morning. The, and the Irish Independent, D Forbes is gone. The flip-flops are gone. The barter account is gone. The toy show is gone. Marty Morrissey is gone. Uh, the decimation of Donnybrook, though, is only beginning, says he. Uh, and a lot of things uh, that will go, uh, not just besides jobs, will be some of the programmes that they make themselves. So programmes like the Sunday Game, or indeed Fair City, uh, could be in the line of fire. Uh, it isn't that they would um, you know, continue to make programs like that or other stuff like that is that they would outsource these kind of things to external companies. Um, so they'd be actually, as a, as a television network, they'd be actually be making less and less of their own uh, programs. They'd be outsourcing them. The upside to it could well be that RT Cork will see a, a, a big improvement in the amount of output that it puts out and the amount of programming that it makes. And it probably also means that they're going to have to find a bigger boat. Um, but the services that would close would be RT Plus One, RT Radio One Extra, RT 2F, 2XM. I didn't say 2FM now, guys. I said 2XM, RT Pulse, RT Junior, and all the Plus One channels that you'd have from from RTE. So there's a lot of coverage in this in the papers this morning. And all of this, of course, can be traced right back to the Renault payments and the barter accounts and the payments uh, to Ryan Tuberty himself. These are not uh, as a consequence of Ryan Tuberty's pay, incidentally. It's just what started the ball rolling. Um, and there will be no Christmas lights switch on. In spite of intervention last night by at least some of the councillors on Leaside, uh, Cork City Council Chief Executive Anne Doherty uh, told council members that a large-scale public Christmas light switch on is not planned this year because of safety concerns. She says, I know it's popular and it has been popular. It was last held in 2019. But apparently she reiterated last night to council according to the story in the Echo this morning that a meeting was held amongst the stakeholders uh, following the event in 2019 and the advice that they got was not to go ahead with it in its current form ever again. Um, now, I haven't a clue who stakeholders are so it'll be interesting to find out who the stakeholders are, what that actually means. City council, uh, businesses, um, Gardaí, fire department, HSC, ambulance, I don't know. But these are the people that made this call. Uh, certainly the stakeholders that weren't um, apparently um, brought in on this was the public or, or local councillors. So that's where we're at with that. Uh, see how Ken Collins reacts to that following the uh, you know council meeting last night. Though There was one other story at council last night and this is the robo-tree story and I will come back to this later on. Owen English carries the story. It was brought up again last night and councillors, would you believe this? They've decided that they're going to hang on to the robot trees for six months. 
And this, Owen English correctly reports, is despite a report that shows that they have little effect on air quality and will cost about 18 grand a year to continue to maintain. But in spite of that, they're going to hang on and give it, these are my words, give it another lash for six months. Like as if the robo trees, it's like as if the robo trees will magically start doing it their job that heretofore they've been incapable of doing. Um, So there's an interesting breakdown of that story online this morning. Uh, There was an hour-long debate, apparently. There are um, robotries on Patrick Street and the Grand Parade. They cost us big, big money. And the UCC study said that they have no... There is no consistent evidence for improved air quality, either on the city tree benches or the immediate environments around the machine. So... (laughs) Even sitting on the bench, the air quality doesn't improve. Never mind 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 yards or metres away from them. So anyway, uh, some of the councillors stood up then uh, last night and gave their own tuppence worth on on the uh, robo-trees, and I'll have some more on that as well. Um, You know, we were talking recently with uh, Daniel Toomey, the Sinn Féin councillor down in Middleton, who isn't going to run again, um, and uh, we kind of broke down the different reasons. Some of it was for quality of life and the things she missed out on when her children were young but also uh, quite an amount of issues within the whole political network down in East Cork as well. Let me put it to you like that. Well, now another councillor has come out down um, in the same area. This is the Fianna Gael councillor, Susan McCarthy. She's Middleton-based as well. And she says that she isn't going to run again either. She's saying that one of the main reasons has to do with uh, a a work-life balance, a proper work-life balance. But also, she did acknowledge to the Echo this morning that she herself has received a death threat and receives online abuse and has been doing so, receiving online abuse, for the two terms while she was councillor. And abuse would be a certain part of it, she said. And I did receive a death threat once. It wasn't on social media. It was actually a handwritten letter. And she says, I found that quite frightening. Um, she referred then in the article in the Echo to the uh, death and the murder of the um, MP Joe Cox in 2017 in the UK. Uh, the politician who was attacked by a man near her constituency office. So, um, you, know, it's a, you know, it's an ever-changing world, isn't it? Just chatting this morning before we came on air and KC made an interesting point to me. He was saying, you know, bullying really, he says, used to be really, um, you know, where you went, whether it was your place of work or indeed in the school. Whereas now it follows you everywhere. It follows you home. You can't hide from it or intimidation or harassment because it is all around you because of social media, the availability of, you know, smartphones and laptops and tablets and whether it's Instagram or whether it's on Twitter. And he's very right in that regard. One other story that we've been following, of course, is the uh, the kids in the school up in Formoy who became very, very sick, four teenagers, very sick at a Cork school after vaping. It would possibly be that they weren't vaping just the regular vapes Um, which would be nicotine with a flavour in them. But it could be cannabinoids, uh, which would be like a chemical similar to uh, cannabis with the THC taken out of it, but still much stronger than regular vapes. And these cannabinoid-type vapes are available to buy in some vape shops. And that's the story that makes uh, the examiner this morning. All of that will change with regards to the age at which you can buy them but uh, it doesn't stop others buying them for juveniles, I suppose. Uh, and I was reading last night and a horrific story that does make the papers today. Now, sentencing won't be until November uh, 24th, but it's the story of a mother of two uh, who left an off-duty Garda inspector for dead in a ditch after severing his foot uh, when she knocked him down. Um, Neave MacDonald is 30 years old. Apparently on the morning in question when she hit the guard, when he was cycling his bike. She woke up, uh, smoked a cannabis joint, went off to work in a crash, 
finished work at half past two, went to the pub, drank five vodkas, five shots of whiskey, uh, liquor and uh, tequila, and then got into a car and drove. A friend of hers offered to drive her home, but she refused. So she drove herself. She hit the off-duty Garda as he was cycling. Uh, he had all the safety clothes on. He was doing all the right things. He had lights on, flashing lights the lot. He was thrown onto the bonnet of the car, into the air, landed on his chest, down in a ditch full of water. Um, forgive me for saying this now at this hour of the morning, but I have to tell you that his foot was ripped off and um, uh, he suffered fractures to his spine, his shoulder and his ribs and he was left for dead. Home she goes, court heard. When she got home, her partner discovered the severed foot of the guard still wedged into the front of the car. I know, can you believe it? And he immediately alerted the guardie and the emergency services. Thankfully, the guard involved um, survived because a motorist noticed him in the ditch and made a tourniquet, you know, for his injured leg to stop the bleeding and he was airlifted from the scene to Cork University Hospital. It's one of the most awful stories I've read and seen in the courts in quite some time. So sentence on this woman will be on the 24th of November. Um, there's also an interesting one with regards to uh, the updates on Ukrainian refugees and asylum seekers in general because um, the independent Kerry TD, Danny Healy Ray, says he is objecting to plans to house more asylum seekers in Killarney, which is quite interesting <laughs> considering that some of the Healy Rays have guest houses that actually have Ukrainian refugees in them. But I think he's talking generally about asylum seekers as opposed to Ukrainian war refugees. He says, we don't know where they've come from. He said that when Irish emigrants landed on Ellis Island, way back at the time of the famine and what have you, they had to be cleared by someone before they could enter America. He says, we don't know where they're coming from um, and we don't know, has anybody vetted them? They could be criminals, says he. Is it it April the 1st or what? Or am I imagining it? I see a story in the Examiner this morning where they're saying that we should have spot checks on our bins to ensure that we're separating our waste properly. So in our house anyway, I don't know about you, you might have different colour bins, right? We have grey for the waste, you know, the, the really bad stuff. We have blue for the recycling. We have kind of a brownie colour for the grass and the clippings and stuff like that and you can put food waste into it. And then we have blue for recycling. Um, I guarantee you there are family members in my house wouldn't know one of those bins from the other because they don't have to do the job. But apparently many of us I don't include myself in this, thank you very much. But apparently many people, many households and businesses are still putting the majority of their waste into the wrong bin. The majority of their waste is going into the wrong bin, according to the Environment Protection Agency. So they are suggesting that homeowners and businesses should have their bins spot-checked by the councils to ensure waste is separated properly. Like, what member of work, what member of staff at the council, like a city council or a county council, would want to actually do that job? <laughs> Going through people's bins. <laughs> I know, I mean, they're, they're, maybe it's serious, maybe it has to do with the environment and all of that, but sometimes I think the world has gone completely and utterly mad, and I just want to get off the damn thing. You know, Prince, one of the greatest talents of all time, we all know that he died and the circumstances in which he died. And like many of these big, huge superstars, stars, I should say, they end up selling off an awful lot of their goods and chattels. And they're selling off Prince's wardrobe, apparently. The Raspberry Beret is not included, but everything and anything that they ever wore will go on sale. And that's fine. But one part of the article in the English Times this morning that interested me is that at one stage, because you know that his wardrobe and his dress sense was just completely and utterly OTT. I mean, he had an amazing dress sense. 
and he never wore the same thing I think twice um, a lot of the time purple but anyway I digress there's an article in the English Times this morning talks about his wardrobe for sale but they say and I quote one paragraph at its maximum there were more than 60 employees working all week long creating new outfits for Prince so 60 people worked all week long just creating clothing week in week out for Prince uh, I don't know whether you'd ever see any Prince replicas being sold in pennies but you're going to go and get yourself you're going to get yourself a much bigger pennies because they have been granted planning permission it's a story in the examiner this morning to increase the size of pennies on Patrick Street by 50% so you'll have a super size me pennies I can see people cheering uh, at the radio this morning uh, at the great news 50% bigger so a supersized pennies on the way um, and of course everybody loves to shop in pennies talking about great Cork stories uh, the Just Eat Awards are out I want to pay special mention to some of those that got shortlisted for this year's awards and I hope they will go on uh, to win in their categories uh, it doesn't surprise me that Roosters Piri Piri are doing really well shortlisted in the Just Eat Awards very good food and we give it away every Friday here. O'Reilly's Fish and Chip Shop, what can I say? Great fish and chips. Lennox on McCartan Street, another one. And the fourth one, Pompeii Pizza at the Franciscan Well. So take a bow, guys. Well done. Best of luck. The Voice of Cork. Neil Prendeville. Weekdays 9 to midday. Cork's Red FM. Yeah, all the ads are Christmassy ads now, aren't they? It reminds me, actually, to mention to you a couple of Christmassy items. Uh, the Casey's window is up. The wonderful Christmas display It's there for you on Oliver Plunkett Street. They do a wonderful job every year. It really is a gorgeous, gorgeous window. And, of course, they continue to raise money with the Casey's bedtime bear and the proceeds from selling all of these bears at Casey's will go to the children's wards at the Cork University Hospital and also the University Hospital in Limerick so benefiting sick children so well done to Casey's the uh, wonderful Christmas window and when I say window it's more than one window is open and you need to go and check it out also can I give a big shout out to the Toker Indoor Christmas Market takes place tomorrow between 6 o'clock and half past 8 at St. Vinbar's Hurling and Football Club and all of those proceeds are in aid of penny dinner so that's one worth worth supporting Uh, that's tomorrow night six to half past eight um, at St Finbar's Hurling and Football Club for the Toker Indoor Christmas Market up the bars meanwhile I missed this yesterday because I ran out of time but I was very keen to chat with everybody at or at least somebody from Joe's Farm Crisps because I read at the weekend that they needed to put out an appeal to the locals to, home, to come and help to uh, bring in the harvest of their beetroot or else it would be lost to frost and there would be less crisps of their beautiful tasty crisps to go around. I was keen to know if the people did turn out and help to save the hay, if you like. Sandra, good morning. Morning, Neil. How from, are you? From Joe's Farm Crisps. Firstly, what, why, did you, why did you need the public to come and do it by hand when I know you guys would have tractors to do all that kind of work? Yeah, um, on the 16th of October, we only got our potatoes out, which was quite late. And that was only two days before the floods um, in East Cork. So basically after that day, it was impossible to get back into the land to get um, anything out of the ground. Oh, was Um, it because they were waterlogged then? Yeah. All right, so no tractor could go. You'd only be able to do it in welly boots or something. Yeah, well, we tried. We tried um, a couple of times, but th- we weren't able to. Um, there was either too much clay going up, and um, or else the the lights were spinning the wheels. Or yeah, something. so it <laughs> was a imagine. nightmare. Yeah. So who who came up with the idea then that you'd ask the public to come and um, hand pick the beetroot? 
Um, I suppose it, it was between myself and Joe. Um, we knew that we had to get it out because, like last week, even the nights were quite cold and there was a touch of ground frost. And as we know, one night's frost will take the whole thing. So um, we're also heading for our busiest time of the year um, for Christmas. And we do, in three weeks' time, we're gifted in the RDS ourselves exhibiting so um, to make the crisps and get them bagged um, like you you need time so uh, t- between time and the weather was against us so we knew we had to go and ask for help Okay, um, what was the response like? Unbelievable From, um, from who? The greater K- from p- people at Killa and Castle Martin that's where you are down east along aren't you? Yeah, we're, we're between Killa and Mount Junic um, there was over 60 people came to the farm as far as away as Kilkenny Waterford <sighs> Tipperary, Limerick border, all over Cork. It was <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah. Did did people turn up like families with children and everything and their wellies just to get stuck in? Um, there were some kids there, but the majority was actually ladies probably. And um, a few said to Joe that they were delighted to get away from housework and for kids for a couple of hours. <laughs> okay. So. Okay. So that involved then pulling up the beetroots and everybody did it. How long did yeah. it take? Um, we had put up on our social media that we were doing 10 until 4, half 4 and it was done in 4 hours Wow, wow You had to yeah. get it done because any a frost could have destroyed the crop, could it? Oh yeah, and any any bit of frost would destroy it and okay. then you okay. wouldn't be able to cook it um, So what? You'd see from our social media we've uh, quite, uh, it's a cylinder kind of shaped beetroot so it's an unusual shape but that's ideal for us for slicing for the crisps. Okay, because so, that's um, what I was going to ask you. What happens yeah. next? Because I've never tasted a beetroot crisp. Beetroot crisp. It's very different to a potato-based one, I suppose, is it? Yeah, it's quite sweet. Um, it'll be quite sweet and earthy is the taste that you get. Um, like we do beetroot on its own or with veg. It'll be carrot, parsnip and beetroot. So you get all the different flavours from the different veg and we just use a tiny bit of apple oil and sea salt um, to flavour our crisps. So it's the flavour of the actual veg or the potatoes that oh. you get instead of flavouring. So you do more than beetroot crisps. Do you do regular ones as well with the spuds? Yeah, we do uh, pink, purple and white potatoes, um, beetroot on its own and then veg that we call the carrot, parsley, and beetroot. And we're bringing out two new um, flavours before Christmas. Um, they'll be just plain white potato and then a trio of beetroot, which is a golden beetroot, a pink and white striped beetroot and the normal purple beetroot. Sounds to me as if you're flying. Where are you selling all of the crisps? Um, we would have hotels and supermarkets. We'd be in super value. Um, we're in kind of all good kind of artisan um, Amazing. shops. Yeah, it's, it's, I thought every place came to us. Um, we'd have Hayfield Manor in Cork. They, they stock our crisps. They'd have a bag in the room for customers are when they come to play and then they garnish sandwiches as well um yeah it's it's we're all around the country but i, I suppose every stop is that we have came to us which has been unbelievable it's a for us. fabulous success story for the burns family who for many years probably were traditional farmers were they yeah um it was joe's joe's mum and dad originally started it and they have bought in um veg and potatoes from local farmers and have sold at market and markets and then 18 years ago we took over the growing of the vegetables and to be 10 years for next March that we started um, the crisps then that we had to change and diversify again. So do you have big vats then to 
to, to make them crispy and golden? Is that like with oil or what? Um, it was originally been kind of done very, very, very small, but in 2017, um, we bought a frying line and only in September of this year that we bought a bagging machine. But wow, up to fine. then, everything was being done by hand with the bagging. Um, so a frying line is the actual chips, just are, they're crisps, they're floating down the line. Well, like not, the, it, it's not a line, it's, it's just um, like they're sliced and they're cooked in the oil to get the crisp up and um, it's still a lot of work, like you have to top and tail oh, all sure, the beetroots and everything. <laughs> From the ground to bagging, it's very hard work. Do you have a pretty, just, I'm just curious, do you have a favourite potato? Um, mine would be probably the purple, the violetta ones. Well, can you never seen those in the, the, in, the, in yeah. John's Rally? What are they? Um, they're violetta. They're purple, all flesh, purple flesh on the inside. Um, they'd be an old heritage variety um, of potato, but I find them quite interesting. So they're, 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 they're really pur- interesting. If I, if I mashed them with butter and salt, would they be purple on the plate? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But say okay. Well, the, the regular potatoes. Then what's your what's the best one for chipping and frying and roasting and stuff like that? Uh, that would be Lady Claire. I don't one. know that one either. What's that? <laughs> it's 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 it's, see, it's all chipping varieties. So um, to be similar to like a queen potato, really, during the summer. I thought it was yeah. a Maris Piper, or as they say in my house, the Piper Heidsick. I thought they were the best ones for chips and roast and stuff, no? No, no, no. Definitely the Lady Claire. The Lady Claire. Okay, guys, write yeah. that down. Where will you buy them? From us. <laughs> oh, fair <laughs> You've cornered the market. Anyway, look, we covered a lot of ground this morning. I'm so delighted that the public came out to help. Got to try your crisps next, though. Um, but listen, the, the public support really was fantastic. Otherwise, God only knows you'd have been in big trouble. So thanks to yeah. all concerned, I suppose, yeah? Yeah, a huge thank you. Um, just to everyone, even if they only just like to share their post on social media or physically came down... Um, we were still getting calls up to yesterday at half seven in the morning. We were getting calls for people still to come, and it was just amazing. Um, people are so I kind. Thought, yeah. People yeah. are so kind. I, I suppose you don't realise it until, but definitely if you need help, just ask. In times of crisis, personal. people do come uh, out and they do get involved. So well done. Check yeah, out uh, check out joesfarmcrisps.ie. Fair play to you, Sandra. Thanks so much for taking the call. Continued success, all right? Thanks, Neil. All the best. Take care. Can I go to council from last night? There were different issues discussed. Uh, Two in particular were of interest to this programme because we covered it in detail. One was the Christmas light switch on and the other one, which I wasn't expecting, uh, to be honest with you, I thought they would have scrapped it last night, but they're not going to scrap the robo-trees. They're going to hold on to them, uh, I believe, and keep the robo-trees for at least six months in spite of the report, which says that they really and truly have little or no effect on the air quality around them. Dan Boyle is the Green Councillor and Chairman of the Environment Committee committee joins me by phone. Dan, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Why would a decision like that be made when UCC came out and said that they have um, no um, what, what was the quote again? No consistent evidence for improving the air quality, even if you're sitting on the bench. Well, they said it was inconclusive, but I, I think the effectiveness of the moss walls, city trees, so many different names has always been in question uh, and uh, what we're we're deciding on foot of this report is what 
what its eventual future would be and that's examining all the options uh, if it's dismantled if it's put into storage if we have to do further studies uh, on an all year basis what are the cost effects of that is there a cost benefit analysis of keeping them as they are taking them away and that's what the additional six months is going to be about yeah, but there is a direct quote from the UCC study that you seem to be disagreeing with where and it's quote no consistent evidence for improved air quality either on the city tree benches or in the immediate environs of the machines. Yep, that, that, that is a sentence. The, find, the ultimate recommendation was about the findings being inconclusive and the UCC element of it did talk about factors that may have made the testing of it inconclusive, including the climatic conditions, water vapours. Uh, these are installations that exist uh, in many other European cities. Some have kept them, some have got rid of them. For instance, there's one outside the European Parliament uh, yeah. and it's been there for several years. No, no, so I, I know some th- have kept them, some have, have got rid of them. Maybe the ones that yeah. kept them never had the sense to do the research into it like UCC did and if they did, they'd find that theirs are also um, are as, as, as uh, um, ineffective as ours. They just haven't done the research. Well, what the report is, is is that it's the UCC report, which was commissioned by the City Council with the Centre for Analytical Chemistry and the response of the manufacturers of the installations. And and I suppose that's where a lot of the uncertainty is coming from because the back and forth between the two, a company that has a lot more resources than the university study, which cost two and a half thousand. And one of the reasons why further information might be sought is that you might need a more detailed uh, study to examine whether or not uh, the inconsistency of the inconclusiveness can be finally proved. How many times do you have to stick your hand in the fire, man, before you go well, to find out that it, it burns it, you? It, 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 this is a very short time period. These were installed in August 21. Uh, so we're talking about 27 months that they've ever been in existence. Uh, so it, it's still a period of looking at whether or not they work. I would be of an opinion that they are pure fires. They were never going to work. I do feel they You're have... You're of the opinion that work. they were farce? No, 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 no. I would be opinion they never were going to work as air purifiers. You, you, you knew that, that they would never work? No, 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 no. I was sceptical about their benefits. No, but you just. But did, what are you saying? Did you know when we bought them there, there that there are, were there are, there are a number? There are a number of elements that the the moss trees, city trees, were meant to do. Uh, one of which was to purify the air in the immediate surroundings. One of which was to monitor the air. One of which was to be a public information point with the electronic LED displays. And one was to be public seating, which seems to be the most. Ex- uh, popular if, if expensive elements of it. Uh, now the, the, the only element that, that doesn't seem to have had effectiveness and hasn't been proved to have any effectiveness is its ability as an air purifier which most people would have an opinion that real trees actually do better. So and why didn't you say it. that? When you, why didn't you say that? I, I mean, you are that. a member of the Green Party. You're chair of the Environment <laughs> Committee. Why I, I did you say, say that? Yeah, we did say that at the time. Look, this this came about, and the report is quite good on it. It, it puts in the context. This was part of, of a four million uh, pound stimulus package uh, as a response to the pandemic, which brought us uh, more segregated cycleways, which brought us the pedestrianisation of the city, which brought us things like parklets, which brought us enhanced street cleaning, which brought us the outdoor. Yeah, they were all very uh, positive. They're not yeah, disputing they, they, that. This, this was about eight percent of the budget that was applied for. It doesn't time. matter. It was over four hundred grand. Uh, four hundred grand. It was, it was, was three hundred and fifty. Yeah, but uh, it's cost us four hundred and four thousand now, including the annual upkeep. And you're suggesting, yeah, even they, though you are now saying that you never believed they would purify the air, 
Council is saying we'll keep them for another six months. What, to see if they will start purifying the air all of a sudden? Or what? No, no, it's in the context of whether the other benefits are, are worth measuring. Uh, and the, the, the inconclusive elements from both the UCC report and the experience elsewhere is that if it's the climatic conditions, if it's the locations, for instance, one of, one of the UCC um, recommendations is that one of the reasons they may not be working is where they're located, uh, that it could be uh, an enclosed or a semi-enclosed location where these work better. And, and we need to examine... But they should be able to work in an open setting on the busiest street that might have pollution issues and air quality issues, and that would be Patrick Street. Like, you can't be kind of picking and choosing the most ideal place. Like John Sadeau, who's the retired professor emeritus at chemistry at UCC, said these trees, he's the professor of chemistry, these trees, he said it on this programme, are about as useful as a sponge to soak up the floods in Middleton, he said. I, I, I interact with John quite regularly, and I, I don't necessarily disagree with him. But it, Why, are you, are, you, are you a professor of chemistry? Look, I'm not talking about the technical aspects, and that's one of the things I was talking about, John, last night on Twitter, in the sense that uh, John was talking about the very technical aspects as public representatives. And this is a decision that councillors didn't make in the first instance. This was an executive decision. It was not proposed, and it was something that uh, came along because the government and the departments offered funding for looking at uh, stimulus measures, of which this was just one. I know, and, and we've covered that ground. But, very, yeah, but, yeah. but did you get a chance last night to actually vote on whether we keep or ditch the trees, robo-trees? No, no, there was no actual vote. There was no actual recommendation. It was a debate on the report itself, which highlighted uh, the action we will take over the next number of months, just the next number of months. And as chair of the committee, I, I've undertaken that the next two meetings we'll have in January and March will have a review of that report that will lead us towards making Which a report? decision. Which report? The UCC report. You're, you're stark raving mad in there. The report has said they don't work. No, no, the report said that. The report has said a lot of things. The report says that information that's available leads to a particular conclusion that is inconclusive. On, a, dr- on a dry day when the sun is shining and the wind is blowing from the east, is it? Like, it's, that's nonsense, man. <laughs> well, Neil, it, it's a it's it's a it's a twenty one page report with six appendices that add up to one hundred and eighty pages, which says it, it, that it, they it, have no funny. impact, even if you're sitting on the bench. Like bizarrely, Des Des Cahill said last night, right, that the yeah. eighteen grand annual maintenance is a drop in the ocean to the city's budget. What kind of a thing is that to say? Go and tell that someone to a taxpayer who's struggling to pay their mortgage. A drop in the ocean, 18 grand is a drop in the ocean and one of the reasons given why we can't have the light turn on? How can the councillor make a comment like that? Well, I, I think that's linking two issues that aren't linked. And they are. It was to do with the innovation of the robo-trees. Yeah, well, the, the lights is another issue, but the lights is not to do with cost. Uh, but I, I, I that is, that is another issue. But why would Des Cahill say, you can't answer from I know, but 18 grand a year to maintain something that doesn't work is a drop in the ocean to the city's budget. And people are wondering whether they can turn the heating on or not. 
I, I think the point he was trying to make, and as you said, I can't speak for him, uh, is that 18,000 in the context of a wider public awareness campaign about air quality uh, is is something that we spend in different ways. In the, in that, that for instance, we, we had a, a clear, uh, clean air week uh, a, a number of months ago, oh, no. uh, and we were put a lot of resources into that. It, comparing those kind of budgets, I think that's the point he was trying to make. But if you have that attitude to five grand here and 18 grand there and 20 grand there, before you know it, it's a big pile of money that you're kind of saying, ah, you know, on the scale of things, it's the well, penny. Well, that's, that's, that's you know, you mind the pennies. I mean, the... This is the week we decide our budget, you know. There's 280 million we, we spend as a city. Uh, and on Wednesday night, we're making those decisions. And, and it could be that you know, when, when we have the, the review of this report over the next couple of months, when we look at the... the How long does it take you to read a report, though? It, it's not reading the report. It's understanding the report. It's looking at its implications. Let me let me read. Let me um, let me read it for you again in case you don't understand it. Yeah. No consistent evidence for improved air quality, yeah, yes, either yes, s- yes, sitting yes, on the I'm benches or immediately but around yes, look, it. Look, the report. The, the further review is: what's the cost of dismantling? What's the cost of storage? What's the cost? Uh, is there a resale value? Is there a prospect of different donors? Is there a prospect of different users? They're the options that are being considered. I don't know, man. I, I, don't, I just don't get it. Not only that, you're going to buy more moss to put into the filter holders, apparently, also. Is that right? Uh, well, I'm not too sure, but that's part of the ongoing maintenance cost. I mean, that, that has been revealed. The upkeep and maintenance, uh, which uh, many of the councils feel should should not be an ongoing responsibility to City Council. And this has come to, as I said, the stimulus programme, which was funded initially by the NTA. That uh, One of the arguments we could be making is that if they're maintained, the cost of maintaining it should be got from outside sources. And they're the type of things we'll be examining. Okay, all right. I know we get calls on this, but I appreciate your contribution this morning, Dan Boyle, uh, Green Councillor on Cork City Council. So not only are they keeping it, are them, because there are uh, a few of them, um, Patrick Street and the Grand Parade, uh, but they're also going to maintain them or a company will come in and they'll pay them 18 grand a year to maintain something that doesn't actually do its job. And they'll also replace the moss in the actual units of the robo-trees uh, to make sure that they continue not to do their job with new fresh moss. It would be like you putting petrol or diesel in your car except there was no engine working in it. Text 0868104106 after the break. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Text and WhatsApp 086-8104-106. Cork's Red FM. Say one thing for Dan Boyle, at least he came on the air. There are those within the hallowed halls of City Hall who refuse to talk to me, but he has no problem chatting and talking it through, even though some of the things that he said are quite bizarre. He said, I don't believe they purify the air. I never have. But yet, Green Party... Uh, stood back while they implemented the policy to buy them uh, and to install them. Anyway, you couldn't make this up, as the fellow says. Let me get to our phone lines. Mal, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? I'm good. I'll give out some comments, actually, from other local councillors from last night's uh, meeting. Go ahead yourself, anyway. I mean, that, that was radio gold there, well. That was classic, wasn't it? What do you mean? In what way? About violent fairness, like. That was, that was comedy gold over radio. Well, it's not you, su- have classic, you have a classic on your hands, Joe. <laughs> it's not, suppo- it's like not it. supposed to be funny, Mal. I take your point no. and, and thank you for, I think, for the compliment, but it's quite yeah. serious, isn't it? Ah, but I'm fair. The Green Party, you know, they want these, that we're going to do everything, and then they turn around and say that we're never going to walk. And then, name of God, like, you wouldn't get that anywhere. 
You wouldn't get that in Norway, boy. Unfortunately, <laughs> no. Uh, but we have to put up with it, and uh, you know, it's 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 cost us four hundred and four thousand, and will continue to cost us more yeah. money, even yeah. though they don't work. Yeah. It's just a classic comedy, way. It's just classic. You couldn't get that nowhere. And, yeah. and, and no, do you know something else? If we had the people running, that run Trilly, and what's that way, Killarney, running Cork, you'd have some city there, right, sir? You, at least you'd have people with brains anyway. You That's know what I mean? That, ex- no, that is that, an excellent point you make there. It is. Yeah. It is. And Waterford even. I go to Waterford, Neil, and I'm not joking, it's a massive city. Fantastic down there. It, and they're clever people as well. They know how to do it. Up there, the, the gambines we haven't seen there, boy. And I'm joking. Well, we right. were just talking about that yesterday, the big Christmas yeah. events that are planned for Killarney and Waterford. Yeah. And they have no issues with security yeah. or mm-hmm. having problems with regards to keeping people safe. Everybody's welcome. And Winter yeah. Winterval, Winterval, it's called down in Waterford, the big yeah. Yeah, Christmas sure, we'll festival. Just go. We'll, we'll go to Killarney and Waterford and we'll watch yours. No problem. But we, we're going to be, if we haven't already, be left behind otherwise yeah. if we don't get around to that. And, and we can burn more diesel then because the Green Party are making us go down there because they won't come up with the Well, I'm van. glad that you found it amusing <laughs> and funny. At least I, I did that for you, which is good. Appreciate the call. Oh, if I know about it, Take care. Know. Thanks, Mal. So what some of the other councillors had to say last night, particularly on the robo-trees. Sorry, Kevin, how many did you say there were? Six of them, is it? Four of them or, or six of them? Uh, there's five of them, five robo-trees. I thought there was six. Anyway, five doesn't make it any worse or any better. It's still not working. So some of the other councillors, um, the Green Party councillor, Oliver Moran, said, it is time to accept that the devices don't do what they're expected to do. And and do what, Oliver? Like, get rid of them or what? We can't go on spending 18000 a year to keep them going, he said. Um, uh, who else said something? Oh, Sinn Féin's Mick Nugent said last night, we've had enough. We've had enough. Uh, another one that I find difficult to follow is the Fianna Fáil councillor Fergal Dennehy. says, I would hate to be part of a council not willing to take a risk or take a chance. Well, you guys, you took a risk and you took a chance and it didn't work. It's time to fold up the tent now and stop throwing good money after bad. But he went on to say, let's get off social media bandwagon. Let's give the director space and time to see if we can work with universities or other groups and stop running our meetings from social media. What, is that? what does that even mean? I mean, if people are talking about it on social media, they're entitled to talk about it. They're invested in the story. They're from Cork. They're of Cork. Um, then Deirdre Ford said, the Fianna Gael councillor, uh, she criticised the negative media coverage of the devices and said that innovation should be celebrated. Yeah, Deirdre, but only when it works. Like, in the private sector, you would never find something like this happen. And, and, and if it did happen, you'd be answerable to accountants and finance directors and MDs and CEOs, and you wouldn't be throwing good money after bad when it was found not to work. Like, you would not in the private sector be spending another 18 grand a year and replacing the filters when it's useless. So, how can you criticise media coverage of it when it is a live story and it is of interest to people? But of course, blame the media for everything. And then Fianna Gael's um, Dan, Damien Boylan said, innovation must be encouraged and mistakes will happen on that journey. <laughs> Thank you, Damien. We're not going to make mistakes, but we learn from mistakes. And Des Cahill then said that the maintenance bill of 18000 a year is a drop in the ocean with regards to the city's budget. All of that and lots more besides. And... Uh, I'll be kind. I was going to call it another thing. I was just going to, I was going to, I'll be kind. The city council's meeting last night. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818 104 106. Red.
Red FM. A couple of texts. Um, interesting one here, Neil. The quality air around the robot trees will never be able to improve when you have members of the public sitting below them smoking hash all day long. Yeah, but if they are smoking hash, right, that's fine. But are the robot trees picking up the fact that they're smoking hash? Probably not. Um, and there's a lot then on RT. RT management should be charged with misappropriation of funds. Leave the other people in RTE alone to get on with their job. Here's another one or two. In relation to RTE, can I just ask where D Forbes has disappeared to? Uh, she took a lump sum and a large pension while all RTE were left to rot due to serious mismanagement under her um, guidance. Uh, we see it time and time again. Mismanagement leads to the closure of long-established businesses and institutions yeah, but by and large in the private sector, though, isn't it true? Like, if that was a private company, that would be gone bust a long time ago. Will we ever learn, Neil? We must have proper oversight and governance. Uh, I'm, I'm at work trying to pay my bills, all while top-tier management goes off into the sunset with the sweetheart deals, and we all deal with the consequences. Uh, Kieran says, could we not get a refund from the suppliers of those robo-trees? They failed to do what they were supposed to do. Yeah, um, maybe. I don't know. I don't actually know whether they'll be under warranty. Um, I don't know if it's even something that they investigated in the first place. Anyway, get involved in the conversations. Pick up the phone. Text 0868104106. The Neil Prenderville Show. Red FM. A couple of shout-outs, actually. Shkina Scholar's on at the moment. A big shout-out, please, to my son and all of his classmates in Upper Glanmire National School. They're playing Skull Eriada in Porky Cueve at midday in the Ski and Scholar final. And another fast one for my son Tommy Forrest and his school uh, and the team. The best of luck in the Ski and Scholar final today at Porky Cueve and best of luck to all. I'll go back to the phone lines in a minute. Just some more texts on RTE. The problem with RTE is that a bad culture was allowed to develop for a long period of time. From what I could see, senior people admitted to the Oroctus committee that they were not actually properly doing their job, and then some. And this was accepted uh, when Kevin Backhurst made his over-the-top deal uh, with Tuberty, it was obvious his role was to put a sticking plaster on the problem. And now the regular employees have to suffer. Um, the trust of the general public is gone. I'm not sure what you mean about Kevin Backhurst making an over-the-top deal with Tuberty. Um, he let him go uh, and Tuberty got uh, got sacked. Uh, I don't know, the, the deal would have been done by other people way before Kevin Backhurst came in to try and turn or to save a sinking ship. Uh, one other one, one or two more here. Uh, while I hate to see anyone losing their job, I'm again frustrated and angry to see the taxpayer will have to pick up the 40 million euro tab to get rid of 400 people and their jobs at RTE. Yeah, it's voluntary redundancy, but of course it is the taxpayer that will pay. Uh, Sheila says, I, like many, foolishly pay my television licence, but when it comes to redundancies of the state broadcaster, my and your listeners' taxes will go to footing the staggering €40 million. I certainly didn't vote for this government uh, to tax me for the way RTE is run with the many overpaid and incompetent managers they have, says Sheila Daly in Glanmire. Uh, And one more on this. I have a question about RTE. The big boys and girls took what they could from us, the Irish people, through our licence fees and cash from the government. As in, cash from us. Why is it that the ordinary hard worker uh, at the state broadcaster will suffer the most now? You can't suffer much more of a crisis than losing your job, Neil. I wonder if the fat cats will lose any of their pensions, their expenses or their jobs. I really don't understand why the hardest workers always pay the biggest price. Just look at our health service. Our nurses work so hard, just like our teachers work so hard. 
we won't pay our nursing staff enough, nor our teachers. They have to leave Ireland in order to be able to afford a home. We then take workers from countries like India. It just doesn't make sense. Can you tell me any other country where you might have a husband and a wife, one a teacher, the other a nurse, that can't afford a mortgage? Yet, we might have people in our state broadcaster who could afford to buy a house with just one year's salary at the top scale. I don't understand it. We have our priorities all wrong. Sorry about the rant, but I'm really fed up how hardworking people in this country get such a raw deal. Um, and lots then on the robot tree. Um, I would prefer and we would prefer if they improved the footpaths and improved road surfaces instead of wasting our hard-earned money on pie-in-the-sky projects. Uh, easy, easy for him to laugh, your caller, um, Mal, before 10 o'clock. Um, all this stupid government does is waste taxpayers' money. They should be made to do a real week's work for themselves to see how it feels. Nothing short of a joke. They can't admit that they've been fooled by these stupid trees and they just won't admit it. And this conversation does not prove, if this conversation doesn't prove to people that green radicalists are not playing with a full deck, nothing will. As they say, Jesus wept. And that's with regards to my conversation with Dan Boyle. You were totally right about the trees. We would be much better off wasting that much money, throwing it at the clocks in big bell towers. Um, not quite sure what that one means, but thank you for it. Moronic, imbecilic, idiotic attitude from City Council. These people should be fired from office. They're a complete waste of money, ignorance and embarrassing. And we saw it from last night's council meeting. Uh, morning, Neil. Instead of giving out tickets to the Opera House, maybe give out tickets to the City Hall for a listen to these sitting councillors. It would be... More- it would be much better entertainment. Calls on the way after the break. Text always. Oh, no, I'll do one now and then more after the break. Pat, good morning. Thanks for holding. Good morning, Junior. How are you? I'm good. Um, okay, so you're picking yeah, up on the call. Oh, yeah, the call with Dan Boyle. Yeah, Go I ahead, was, yeah. Yeah, I was actually driving there and like I, I was glad I was on a, a wide road because I was the last that I was able to swerve around the place, you know. Were you laughing but, um, or were you shouting at the radio, which? I was, I was doing both, but I was laughing. All right, mostly. okay. Okay. Well, been, like, like, one of the points that he made was that um, in certain circumstances and positions, these trees do work, right? And, I mean, he then uh, referenced the fact that there's been one of them for a couple of years outside of the, the main headquarters of the EU in Brussels. Yeah. I mean, if one of them is able to soak up all the hot air coming out of there, you know, <laughs> they must work. Do you think we got a, maybe we got a bad batch of trees? Maybe they were made on a Monday morning by a hungover we, workforce. We, well, we'll always get the bad batch because we're on the edge of the EU. We're way out on the, you know, we're an island, you know. People fail to realise this. But anyway, to get back to the, the thing about it, like, number one, fair play to Dan Boyle to come on, as you said yourself. Second thing is, like, it's it's totally indefensible. Do you know what I mean? If he knew, if he felt or knew himself that they weren't going to do anything as regards the air quality, um, like what were, what were they done for were they done for seating areas was it done for the billboards well, was he, it done for he, there was one point that he did make he said well what, we, we also have to work out what are we going to do with them are we going to scrap them are we going to put them into storage are we going to recycle them are we going to leave them there as benches um, like but sure, it, it's the same as the voting machines the voting machines there from years ago, the electronic voting machines. Yeah, that, that's 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 not a reason to keep on paying for the maintenance of them because you don't know what oh, to, you don't not. know where to put but, them. But like, I mean, are those voting machines that were there from I don't know how many years ago? Are they still in storage? I think they were. I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they were recycled. Someone, someone, the point I'm making is someone of their cronies making money out of storing them. 
how many years later, same thing is going to happen. These are going to, if these go into stories, what's going to happen? And like the thing about it being is that it's not, nobody, as you said yourself, Neil, it, nobody is responsible, okay? The fact of the matter is, it's someone else's money. It doesn't matter. It's a, it's a, it's a small little BT out of the thing, out of the hundreds of thousands of millions that we've got to deal with. Puff, puff, puff. Jessica, you know, just, Jessica said that the it. 18... Now, bear in mind, UCC and a professor of chemistry said... The professor yeah. of chemistry up in UCC, he's retired now, he's a great guy, he said it would be like using bath sponges to solve the problems for yeah. the Middleton flooding. So UCC yeah, did the research and they said that they don't work. But yet yeah, Jessica says... €18,000 annual maintenance for these robo-trees is a drop in the ocean of the city council's budget. Um, I take take exception to that comment, I have to say. But the point I'm making is he's not paying for it out of his own pocket. You see that 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 18000 that he says is um, um, only a drop in the ocean... 18,000 probably would put in, would, would go very far to maintaining um, very nice, clean, hygienic public toilets for men, women and children in the city centre, I would Absolutely. think. And that would I be a much better way that. to spend this drop in the ocean. The 400 and something thousand that would have been spent on a very different thing as well, like, you know, but, you know, yeah. okay. what do you do? Okay, okay, let me, let me talk to Dan. Yeah. Thanks for that. Appreciate it, Pat. Dan, good morning. Morning, how are you going? Actually, fair play. I just see your tech. You're, you're picking up on how you would better spend the money, in fairness. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I would spend this, the whole 400,000 euros. There is no public toilet in Coxley. Uh, not technically true, my friend. I think you know about the one that we... We, we discovered one there recently lurking behind a brown door on the Grand Parade that nobody knew about. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the only one that's around. Yeah. And I, I'd say, I must make another point there as well there, I'd say a lot of your, your emails there and texts have come in there, right, about the massive uh, lump sums being, that are going to be paid now and big massive pensions to our team. And who's, no, who's going, to, who's going to get that? The people on the top, the people in the bottom will just get coming back Here's one of the problems for RTE, right? If they've got about 1,800 staff and probably more, a proportion of those work very hard, right? They do really do, like another proportion of them kind of work. And then unfortunately, there's a proportion of them that do little or nothing or feck all. Uh, And and their workforce is way too big to begin with, continuing what they turn out. So they have to... They have to do something about the huge workforce. Um, Thankfully, these are voluntary redundancies where people won't be sacked, that they would just be given oh, of course. a package and, uh, that's attractive enough for them to go. No, I'm talking about the people on the top, Neil. I came across a national there some time ago where a certain, I'm not naming anybody, a certain person, one of the state banks, came out after spending his time 800,000 euros a year lump sum and a pension of over 250,000 euros a year. Yeah. Yeah, and walked into walked into another job in the bank for another couple of years. Oh, there's a parallel world there, all right. There really is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and the, the, the people in the top in this country will always will always win because they're well connected. <sighs> and and they give they give the pensioners a couple of euros, and it wouldn't uh, uh, what you get, what increase you get. A what, week, would you, what would you do? What would you do, I'd replace all the top people in RT. You'd what? I'd replace all the top people well, in they did, Well, they did. Uh, the, uh, a lot of the people you saw at the PAC committees uh, retired or resigned. 
Yeah, well, that's that's the public sector for you. They're that's not right. breaking any laws there. But what would you actually mm-hmm. do with with RTE, this massive big state broadcaster that really and truly is just not fit for purpose? What would you do with it? But me, what they did, how it is so big and how it's so costly is they they looked after the bodies on the top in RTE. And and it has been and that has been proven. They looked after all their own cronies. We can't even find out the whole thing now. What salaries they're getting and what and what pensions they get. We, you can't ask that anymore, as far as I know. Well, you're you know that we're going to have to give them forty million now. That's just right. for this these redundancy packages and hundreds yep. of millions more. Uh, because they've lost 61 million already just this year alone in revenue from the license fee. They're going to need many multiples of that just to survive. It could be 200 million, 300 million, 400 million. Isn't that just good money after bad? Disney, but who, who got most of that money? You keep going on about the top tier, yeah, the top table. I do, the people at right. the top. And to the same all over the country. All right, my man. Okay. Thanks, Dan. Stay in touch as always. Gillian, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? Fast call. You're under pressure. Go ahead. Um, yeah, I just think it's just a complete waste of money. I mean, from the start, when these robot trees were being installed, people were speaking out about it, and we were basically put down about it. And now the truth always comes out, doesn't it, you know? Um, they're a waste of money. I mean, to be fair, Cork always had a big event for Christmas, and after all the last couple of years, I think Cork deserves a good event, and they, they need to have the lights up and a big event to go with it, you know? It's not, it's not going to happen. It just well, it should not. happen, and they are disgraced that it's not happening. And I hope people realise, come the next election, I hope that they don't vote any of these Greens in or any of the current parties. The councillors, the councillors, actually, you might say they sat in their hands on it. I don't know, but they had no role to play in whether or not there would be a family and a, um, a public switch on. Uh, this was made. Every, like Neil, the thing is, nearly every town in Cork yeah, County well. has an event. Um, for you know the Christmas lighting, and in fairness, like I don't see why Cork can't have an event. You know what I mean? Like the only they, time there was a problem you know? with the switch on of the lights, right? Because mm-hmm. at this radio station and at the other, and when I was at uh, up on the hill, we always switched on the lights. Both radio stations did it year after year, that kind of way. Big mm-hmm. big family event inside the yeah. city. There was never ever 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 a problem until they put barricades across the side streets on Patrick Street. And what's all this health and safety and all this uh, BO as I, or BS, as I should say, about because every other town in the country can put on the lights. But why is it an exception for Cork that they need to make excuses and not do it? Do you know what I'm saying? Well, I have to it's say, and I hate saying it, if you want a big family event for a light switch on come Christmas time back in November, you need to go to Waterford or you need to go to Killarney or you need to go yeah, to Limerick. Yeah, I mean, my kids go. We normally, my mother takes my kids down to Killarney. And in fairness, it's a massive event down there, to be fair, you know, and they do really well. And I think Cork should take notice of what other places are doing and cop on and get an event going, you know. Okay. All right. Thanks for that. Appreciate it. Thank you. Let's get back to work. Thank you, Gillian. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Pat. I had some friends, actually, that were down in Killarney um, for an overnight stay at the weekend, and they came back absolutely buzzing about Killarney. Just the buzz, the businesses, the atmosphere, the food, the entertainment, uh, the socialising the safety of it. But one of the points they were making was you wouldn't see any derelict boarded up shop on the streets of Killarney. They all are occupied, all of them. Now, I'm quite sure there might be rogue ones here and there. But unlike Cork City, where we have so many boarded up shops, I mean, I was walking up 
Cook Street, Upper Cook Street yesterday. And I have to say that there are businesses there trying to get on and trying to thrive, but they're surrounded by boarded up buildings. I mean, um, it's awful. It really is. Building after building after building just on one particular street. I have to say, I thought the city was very quiet yesterday. Maybe it was because it was a Monday. There wasn't a whole lot of people around. Maybe it's a slow starter. Uh, but the point was that in Killarney, you just would not see boarded up shops after shops after shops like you would see, say, in the likes of, of Cork City. I just passed that on for what it's worth. Back after the break, text 0868104106. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. Text 0868104106 on this subject of recycling. They're going to be coming out checking your bins to make sure you're putting the right things into your different coloured bins. Why are we asked to separate different coloured glass at the recycling site? Recently, an employee at the site told me that when the truck, when the truck collects the glass it's all dumped into one truck <laughs> I have no answer to that if that's what happens I don't know why we bother in the first place anyway somebody said to me uh, hi thank you so much for the first hour of your program this morning it was like an edition of Hall's Pictorial Weekly says Mary anybody remember Hall's Pictorial Weekly here's some audio actually of Cork City Council uh, Cork City Council meeting there recently where they were, where they were discussing the councillors were discussing uh, the removal of uh, Kathleen Nihulikon from the front of the Irish Fiver Councillor Rooney and the whole damn lot of you. Gentlemen, there is no point in bolting the stable door after the board has flown. They've turfed Kathleen E. Horicon off the front of the Irish five pound note without as much as a kiss me elbow, and in our place they put some baldy headed old tuner among wrapped up in a horse blanket. One of their own be the look of it. Yeah, withdraw that now, Mr. Chairman. This matter is above politics, the same as the presidency. In other words, let Fina Fall walk away with it once again. My God, oh, crowd, your crowd must be daft. Will they ever get sent? What are you getting at, Councillor Cooney? I, Fina Fall have taken over Green Acres in the Phoenix Park for the fifth time, running. And then they know they're taking over the five pound note as well. That man on the is Deputy Joe Brennan. That's who it is. Who's he? Ah, look at now. Don't, 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 don't be stupid, Councillor. Have you not seen one of the new fibres yet? One of the new ones? I haven't even seen one of the old ones. Oh, God, look, you are all talking through your other papers. The man on the fibre isn't Joe Brennan at all. He's some university professor by the name of Don Scrotum or something like that. You're making a bags of it, Councillor O'Hara. The man's name, and I'll tell it to you, the man's name that's on the fibre is John Scottus Erigenius. I have it here in the encyclopedia. Be God, he was a great man for the right, and so he was. My God, he must have been woeful, brainy to get into that cycle pedestrian book you have there. Uh, he certainly wasn't Fianna Fall anyway. That <laughs> one's wrong. It makes no difference what the hell he was or who he was. What I want to know is by what right did he get his fizzog plastered all over the five-pound note in place of Kathleen E. Hurricane? I mean, the front of it is bad enough, all in Irish. If it wasn't for the figure five, you wouldn't know what it was. But you can't make head nor tail of what wrote on the back of it. And what does that picture the animal signify? Is it some sort of add about rabies or what? I believe tis from the piss letter of Rice Marcus. Salter, Mr. Chairman, Salter. Salter who? P-S-A-L-T-E-R, Salter. Not Pistolter. The P is silent. Yeah, well, I hope you remember that, Councillor Rooney, the next time you're relieving yourself in the men's washroom. It is a woeful noise entirely, like Niagara Falls, so it is. Ah, look, it's a pity they wouldn't come down on top of you, Councillor Hall, and put a stop to your blather. Be good. Be good to think of a woman that has meant so much to this country for the past 38 years. A household favourite to four generations of Irish men and women. A face beloved and familiar to us all as our own mothers, wives and sweethearts. And to think the only way we can get a look at her now is to hold her up to the light. 
Oh, God, if the grub gets any dearer, you won't be able to see any of us unless you hold us up to the light. <laughs> I propose that we do not let this insult pass without doing something about it. Even if it's nothing. Aye, well, that much is least. I that's the least you can do. I propose that we take vigorous action, vigorous action, to restore Kathleen E. Hurricane to her rightful place on the front of the fiver and matter a damn who they put in the white space. If of what sort of vigorous action, Mr. Chairman? What do you mean, what sort of vigorous action, Mr. Chairman? It's none of your bloody business. What sort of vigorous action, Mr. Chairman? Councillor O'Hora, do you think that the, the Minister for Hardship tells his cabinet what sort of vigorous action he's going to take? He just tells them to shut their mouths and shout I, and I want you to shout I, and leave the vigorous action to me. All in favour of vigorous action. There you go. I wonder would the local council at Ballymagash back in the day make a better job of it than Cork City Council? <laughs> Amongst them, of course, was the Minister for Hardship. It was a name, well, there was a politician years ago who was the Minister for Finance. His name was Richie Ryan. And within Hall's Pictorial Re- Weekly, they created a character called the Minister for Hardship and they called him Richie Ruin. Of course, that was comedy. We're dealing with the with the real world. Text 0868104106 on WhatsApp. Uh, Colm, good morning. Hi, Neil. How's it going? Thanks for holding. Uh, you have the floor. What's on your mind? I'm listening. No, just, well, I was speaking to you last week about these these trees, and from uh, I suppose from the perspective of the of the private sector, um, I well, I have my own my own theory that uh, this budget that they had that they they had to spend it. It was it, that's something that would happen in a, in a company as well. If you don't if you don't use the budget, you lose it. So I think uh, none of the councillors are talking about that. They were kind of, uh, they used this, they had to use it. There was about four million set aside. It was a COVID contingency fund. Um, And I did hear that actually, that they did have money left over and they kind of said, well, we got to find it at something. I'm not saying that this is truthful or accurate, but I was told that, you know, they decided we got to spend it or else we lose it. And I don't know, somebody maybe had a brochure sent to them in the post of robo trees being the next thing and decided to buy five of them. Yeah, and um it, it does have all of the it does have all of the hallmarks of that sort of a, a situation but, but going on. But it's a bizarre thing though that the Green Party would say in the guise of Dan Boyle and I I don't have the quote from him now but he said earlier on this morning that he believed that these trees would never I said I don't believe they purify the air. I never have believed they would purify the air. But yet the Green Party didn't stand up and say, don't buy these, they're useless, they don't work, um, but plant trees or yeah. something. Yeah, brilliant after the fact. Uh, when we when they, when the facts have been established that they're completely useless, uh, but again, like you say, they weren't not able to stand up in the council and say, we should not buy these. And as a member of the Green Party, we should not buy these or we should test them before we buy them, before we spend our money. And now that the Green Party knows that they don't work, they still want to keep them and pay the maintenance on them of something that's either useless or broken. Yeah, but you see, Neil, the Green Party aren't paying the maintenance on them. It's the taxpayer and uh, the, the people who are paying the rates in Cork City are paying for the maintenance. It's not the Green Party. All, all of these costs come from the exchequer. They come from taxpayers. They come from hard-working people. And clearly, you have the likes of the Green Party who 
will crucify you with carbon taxes. They want to cut the our food sources and cattle. They want to put in bicycle lanes and cause traffic chaos. And these robot trees are just another symptom of this green lunacy that's going on, uh, not only in Ireland, but around the world. And to all your listeners, um, there's, a, there's an election next year and people need to get out and they need to vote. And this is how you put a stop to this nonsense that's going on. But who do you, who do you um, know to vote for? Like, is that, how do you know that the people that you replace them with would be any better or perhaps worse? Uh, well, I don't know. It, it, uh, like, I think, like, local people and stuff like that, they need to get out and they need to get active. Like, one of the main issues, I suppose, in Ireland as a whole and I suppose in Western society is that we have we have these large parties that are bankrolled and they have they have large sponsors, corporate sponsors and stuff like that. And um, people need to understand that they don't have these, these parties don't have their best interests at heart. And uh, we need to start changing things. Okay. Um, Vote them out then the next local um, elections next year. Okay. Yeah, well, that's the first step. We we, we have to we, we have to start somewhere. Um, you you know, I don't need to tell you about the cost of living uh, issues that are going on that people like myself have predicted many years in the past. Um, you know, these carbon taxes that have come in. Um, you know, like crazy here. I'm here in France, and fuel is cheaper in France here in France than it is in Ireland. You know, um, in in Spain where I am, it's it's like I the last time I filled up my car in Spain, it was one forty six for a, a liter of of unleaded. You pay um, one eighty four here, yeah, yeah, and and like the thing, people need to start questioning, you you know, things like this. Why are these things happening? That's like, that's I, I that's, uh, that's excise duty. You know that well over a euro. That probably even more than a euro is excise duty. You know, uh, uh, yeah, whatever. But you could say you could put a cap on excise, and I don't mean to get off uh, off uh, topic here. But you could say, okay, we're going to take seventy five cents, and that's going to be the maximum. In France now, at the moment, there's a, a few of the fuel suppliers have uh, have committed that they will sell their fuel at cost price. So whatever it costs them to uh, get the fuel and to actually put it into your car, they will sell it at that price. So they're not making any any money out of it. Is that uh, true? Whatsoever. I mean, that sounds bizarre that somebody yeah, yeah. would do something when there's no profit in it. No, no, that's that's actually a fact. You can look it up. That's a fact. Uh, some of the the main, uh, I suppose, the kind of Circle K, you, you can uh, well Leclerc and. Um, in France, and there's one or two others. I think Carrefour. Um, oh, the supermarkets, maybe. In, in, so so the supermarkets. That's, no, this is very interesting. Supermarkets that have filling stations attached to them, which they do. Tesco do as well, don't they? Um, I think maybe that yep. might be in the UK. I don't know about here. So there, that's a lost leader for them. Then petrol. Uh, no, it's all they're doing is they're selling it for cost, so they're not making any money off of it, but they're making not making a loss uh, uh, off of it either. What's the what, so, why are they know, motivated to do that in the first place? Uh, because they uh, because basically there has been a significant cost in the uh, in fuel prices. Uh, for various uh, external factors, uh, the, the cost of fuel has gone up. Yeah, but why would they want to? help their customers to help their customers. Okay, okay. So it's yeah, the yeah. supermarkets and, and, and want it's to help their good. customers. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. But in in Ireland, what they've done instead is that for every penny it goes up, uh, it, let's say from the from the price of crude or whatever goes up, the cost price, um, the Irish government are making more and more money on it rather than capping the, totally. capping no, the excise that they yeah. have. Oh no, it's hypocritical. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and then on top of it, you've got carbon tax. So, you know, people now again, we're going to get around into the, uh, I, I suppose it hasn't got very cold in Ireland again, but you're going to have people calling you again, Neil, going, I, I'm, I'm deciding whether I'm going to turn on the heat or whether I'm going to cook my dinner. Okay. And the, the, the reality of it is, is that people like the Green Party are... Uh, you know, wasting money on robot trees while the the person who is trying to, to survive is struggling more and more and they're completely lost with reality. And the reason why they are is because no matter what they do or whatever the outcome is, they have no accountability. Right. And that is the main issue in with the public sector in Ireland at the moment. Oh, there is no accountability. Okay. And the only way it will change is people, I encourage you, get... Uh, uh, um, register to vote and make change. Yeah. Make change. Well, why don't you run for it's local the only government? Why, it's why the only way. Lo- why don't you run yourself? Well, I. Uh, do you know what? I'll tell you what. I have. I have uh, another between five and ten years. I'm hoping that I'll be. I'll be. Uh, let's say sufficient, and I'll be able to retire. Um, I'm hoping to have my mortgage paid off in the next five years uh, for a house that I bought in 2017. Um, and if I do that, uh, I might move home. And I where are I'd, you now? Um, Sorry, where are you? Yeah. Well, I, I I live in Spain, but oh. I'm I'm working in France. Okay, listening um, to us in Bordeaux. So, okay, nice to have you on board. Thanks yeah. so much, Colm. Don't be a stranger. Appreciate it. Yeah. I've got a lot of other calls here. Yeah, I want to get through. Can I just ask a question? That eighteen grand that um, Des Cahill says is a drop in the ocean uh, in the, with regards to the city's budget. Uh, the eighteen thousand annual maintenance cost is a drop in the ocean of the city's budget. Please give me ideas as to how you would like that 18 grand spent, guys. Text 0868104106 if you were in a position to spend 18 grand, uh, not on yourself now, your family, I think. What would you put it to? If it's a drop in the ocean, let's see if it could be put to better use. Some are suggesting the maintenance of a really good, hygienic, kick-ass public toilet in the city. One example, but give me more of those. Text 0868104106. James Joy is a Labour Party local area rep uh, for Cork City's Northwest. Joins me by phone. Uh, James, good morning. Morning, Neil. Thanks okay, for me. so you never know. Maybe one of these days you might be a councillor on Cork City Council. Is that the objective? Well, here it's open anyway. That's right. the that's okay. the plan. Okay, good luck with you. So um, your point. Yeah, I when you when you said to Dan Boyle that the report said the the trees were ineffective, and he goes, "Well, the report said a lot of things." <laughs> I just had to laugh and texted. You know, I when I texted, in, I actually said it sounded like something you'd hear off Yes Minister, but I, mean, I should have said uh, I should have said Pictorial Weekly. You know, well, so, oh, e- you well, know, take your pick, each or yeah, each each or both, yeah. <laughs> but it was like, oh well, in a different study, you know, taking place over a longer period of time, taking into account. Other but you do know, you do know that they want, Ahmad, they, you, know? you do know that they want a second study, and um, a more a more detailed one, which could cost a hundred grand. <sighs> Like the hundred grand on top of the eighteen grand maintenance on top of the sixty five grand each that the trees cost. Like, uh, but I'm assuming that the people in UCC who did the study know what they're talking about, and they've yeah. already said uh, no evidence to improve air quality. I mean, they're very nice, expensive benches, but no more than that. As another thing, Dan Boyle said that they. Uh, perform various functions, you know, as well as being the city's most expensive benches, they're also the city's largest and most obtrusive air quality monitors, and, you know, they're even a handy storage spot for all of that extra moss that the council has lying around. Mm-hmm. Without you know, a doubt. That's yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, mad, it's madness here. Like, look, the report that came out already, 
uh, you know, it wasn't one. You know, I didn't say with one hundred percent confidence, Project X is definitely or definitely not effective. But no scientific report is ever going to say that. Like it's always going to hedge slightly. It didn't um, hedge. It didn't hedge. It said that they say no consistent evidence for improved air quality yeah. either on the city be- tree benches. That means either sitting on the bench or the immediate environment around it. Um, there's no evidence to show that it improves the air quality law. So then what more more data do they need? You know, they've been there a good while. Well, go and tell that to your Labour Party councillor colleague, John Maher, who said, we tried something innovative, but the results are inconclusive. They're not inclusive. They're not like... Like, Lorna Bogue says, we were sold a pup. And she's right. We were sold a pup. Yeah, look. To be honest, I I think that we've had the we've had the trial run now, and also the eighteen grand that they, that supposedly is spent on maintenance. Obviously, none of that is going on. You know, clearing the bird crap that's building up on them, or giving them a bit of varnish. Like, have you seen them recently? They like they look like crap compared to what they did when they were put in. I've never, I never once, I've never once sat on them because there's always no. loads of people sitting on them. So there's never been yeah, space. I never once sat in them because they never look clean enough to sit on. To be honest, with you. <laughs> um, yeah. Look, they've uh, they've got, had their bending in period now. At, uh, at this point, uh, there's been re- numerous reports on them. You know, there's not not conclusive evidence that they help. Uh, so why why have them? You okay, know? nice uh, one. Appreciate you spend, that. You could spend the you could spend the money that we spent on buying them, on maintaining them, on other projects that do actually you know that there is evidence that they, that they contribute towards a good environment and you know better quality air and all that. Like I'm not anti you know small g green policies, um, but just this boondoggle of throwing money at a problem because there was an extra four million in a budget and we may as well spend it on something useless. Like that, that kind of thinking is insane. Okay, what did you call it? A boondoggle. I think that's yeah, like a like a project, a big expensive project that doesn't have any. That's a beautiful a word, boondoggle. <laughs> I must remember that one. Thank you for that contribution. Take care, James. Text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on oh eight one eight one zero four one zero six. Red FM. Great word, James. Boondoggle. Uh, we checked it. A boondoggle is a project that is considered a waste of both time and money, yet is often continued due to extraneous policy or political motivations. A boondoggle is something that doesn't work, but those involved in the boondoggle keep on doing it because they're too mortified to give up on it. Thank you for that. The city. Don't talk to me about the city. I was attacked last year. I had a broken socket and a dislocated shoulder and lots of other injuries. I took the painful decision to not prosecute as the guardie let my purpose traitors go on the night as I was unconscious and I couldn't make a statement and they then went on the run I spoke to the Garda in question who explained that I would endure a two year lengthy wait before I would ever go to court for them to just get a slap on the wrist which in turn was more suffering to me in the long run the Garda reluctantly agreed uh, although he still wanted some kind of justice just as I did but what would be the point this is where Ireland is with our sad justice system more on the perpetrator's side than the victims I still suffer to this day but I am more careful um, thank you for that text uh, like my my Condolences on the awful attack. That broken socket, a dislocated shoulder. Very, very, very painful. Um, I wonder how did the attack happen, though. A little bit more detail from you. I'm just, just curious. You might even call it nosy. Um, this then from a taxi driver because we were talking about the city recently, um, and indeed with regards to whether or not you go in for the switch on of the lights. Uh, how about? Um, 
Uh, how about a lunchtime Saturday for you? I was verbally assaulted on Patrick Street. A guy in crutches came up to me demanding that I take him. He was out of his mind. I refused because I already had a booking. I drove off and, and he walked out in front of the car and the guardie just drove by. There was also a guy whose car was straddling the bus and taxi rank. I couldn't go to work. And where were the guardie for that? The car shouldn't have been there. It was three o'clock. Um, it seems to me that too often the guards don't want to police the city. Mayor Giuliani sorted out New York, but nobody wants to sort out the problems in Cork. A final one on that then. Uh, I recently had family visit us from overseas. My two teenage grandchildren wanted me to take them for a walk around the city centre at night with a view to taking pictures and videos of the city by night. They and I were shocked with what we saw at 9.30pm. Uh, many, many drunks were walking around, one of whom raised an empty beer bottle to us and shouted profanities at us. He was Irish. Not that that should matter. Many people of various nationalities were setting up sleeping bags and blankets in shop doorways for the night. I was truly shocked at what I saw. I heard and I read about it, but this was my first hand seeing it, and it was shocking. My teenage grandchildren were also shocked. And so instead of taking photos of our beautiful city, they were taking photographs of drunks and people sleeping in doorways. I was very nervous and felt threatened on our walk around. My grandchildren said that they didn't even feel safe. What has the city become? I certainly won't go into town again at night, says Dave. Thank you for that. Um, sadly, all too often when you have um, derelict buildings or closed up shops or businesses that have gone out of business, you will find that their entrances and their little area there outside their front doors, that recessed area, will become somewhere for somebody to sleep. Uh, and that in itself is very, very sad. Then there's lots of stuff then on things like the Christmas lights, which I will come back to. I want to go back to our phone calls, though, for now. Just take at least one this side uh, of 11. Marion, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Now, it says here that you're visually impaired, OK, so... Well, uh, Neil, I'm totally blind. Okay. Uh, I've met you before, like you were in my house even... Uh, oh, I recognise your voice now. Yeah. How are you, Marion? Uh, not too bad. Just a bit of tragedy there in my family recently, you know. So, like, two brothers and a sister died within 18 months of each oh, other. I'm very sad cancer. to hear that. I'm very sad For, to hear that. Unexpectedly. But, you know... Have to get through it. Life has to go on. But, I know. You know I know. It's tough. I know. They got great um, care in Mary Mountain, CUH, and everything. You but know, it's so. losing three in such a short period but, of time is tragic. Oh yeah, it is very difficult. You know, but life can be very hard to understand sometimes. It does, yeah. And I was diagnosed myself there with a cancer lump on my head, but um, in August, like, but you know, hopefully. I'm going back now in two weeks. And Fingers crossed that the therapy and the treatment will work. Um, yeah. The states are—they're uh, saying they're cost eighteen thousand a year to maintain. Well, I'm sorry, I have a better solution there for Descal. Can you ask him? Can you get the, the footpaths and everything uh, fixed and also cleaned of dog poo? Because when I try to work with my mobility stick, Neil, it's like doing—it's um, like doing a dance, like to dance around where the poo is and. Uh, hoping that you don't slip or fall in it or the cracks on the pavement and all of that. Just two things on that. I would have thought at this stage we had the world's best footpaths for all the money they're spent on them, no? No. The, fa- the, the footpaths going down Wilton Street and different parts there. Oh, okay, yeah. Right. Okay, so for a reason, yeah, yeah okay. Okay, okay. Just um, maybe, maybe I'm referencing areas like the Quays and stuff like that where we... Oh, yeah, ma- inside in town is not too bad, but, like, it's just... Um, you do you bring dog poo home on your shoes? Oh, I, the 
person that's with me, it's just a trial and error not to be stepping into it. Uh, try not, you know what I mean? But it's terrible some days there. It's like as if that the people just open their front doors and let out dogs or something like that because there's so much of it sometimes, you know. So you do, do, but does, your, does the guide dog not kind of walk your No, I don't have a guide dog at the moment, Neil. I have a personal assistant that just tries to help me keep uh, walking into it and everything. And it's just very difficult when you're walking on a pavement that's even broken and everything then. And it's terrible like to see that on pavements. Like, why can't people either pick it up or whatever like that it's just too lazy they're just too lazy they couldn't give it down and why aren't the council then coming around cleaning you know it's it's not much to ask or anything like that and um, I used to walk into town there before and walk out and I don't know it's difficult and I want to do mobility to try and and get my name on a list for a guide dog because you have to ha- have a knowledge of how long are you, How long are you blind? Are you blind since birth or was it a gradual thing? Uh, no, I went blind from glaucoma. It's a problem in my family. Okay. Like some have it and some don't. Well, why, can't you get a gui- why can't you get a guide dog? Oh no, like uh, at the moment my health wouldn't allow for that. Like, you know, I have to build up mobility again and know my area and be confident and then you know, because you have to know the area you're in and um, all of that. So I just want to do that. But the stairs or some of the footpaths around where I yeah. live and everything mm-hmm. like that is just absolutely, you know, it's, it's, they're not great. And I can't understand why the council just don't fix them, you know. Okay, thank I mean, you. I've been asking for examples as to where the 18,000 could be best spent better if exactly. it's only a drop in the ocean to the city budget. And then traffic lights as well with the bleeps on them, like um, standing at traffic lights waiting for and you're pressing the traffic lights. But mainly it's the footpaths I really love if they with Tone Street there, especially in like mm. some other parts you know, that are All right. really okay. in bad shape, okay. you know. How do you, do you find it, the city accessible, like doorways and, uh, you know, ramps and stuff? Well, I have good knowledge, like I've, I, I memorise things and when I go into town, but um, to tell you a funny story, I was inside in town one day and I said to the assistant, Jesus, I said, what is that smell? And she nudged me and she said, that's the smell that's in her now. And I said, what do you mean? And I said, is the people smoking something or other? And I said, yeah, I'd better get on that too because it, it, it smelt, you know what I mean? But it's just walking along. What were you smelling in the, around the city? Were you smelling... It's like a grassy smell. People sm- smoking marijuana? Well, something in anyway, our because... Yeah, yeah. Smoking marijuana under the robo trees, I suppose. Nice pastime. Well, the smell was just... I was holding my nose and I said to her, and she nudged me and I said, look... That whatever that smell is, it's just it was a real grassy smell and strong smell. Yeah, that's and what I it was. Just, that's what it was. Yeah. Um, but people as well, they <clears throat> excuse me, people as well, they they just what's funny about it sometimes is uh, people are rushing along the pavement and then one day somebody ran into me and they said, "Why the bloody hell don't you look where you're going?" And I said, "Sorry, you're the one that ran into me on your." Did phone. you have a white stick? Yeah, and they didn't, but they and ran into me on the on. They were on their phone. 
you see, and they, they are going along with their head in their phone. They're not looking where they're going. And did your minder that walks with you tell you they were on their phone, yeah? Oh, yeah, but the point is, like, it's just... Sometimes you just have to walk around people or uh, whatever. Like oh, that. listen, you're blind and I'm not blind, but I often have to, no- to navigate myself around someone. It's almost like doing a dance with them because their head is I stuck in their bloody phone. I love going into Patrick Street. I love going down there, uh, you know, going in there when walking down, going into shops. What do you miss, about, what do you miss about being sightless now? Uh, reading now. I used to read. I think that's what reading and uh, just to be able to go out. You see, if I had my mobility and get a guide out, because I used to go to England and everything yeah. on my own and on the boat. Do you miss the uh, se- Do you miss the seasons and the colours and the brightness? And do you miss the? Uh, well, I can kind of see brightness. I, I know today now, when I went into the kitchen this morning, the, ho- the sun just hit me and I, you know, it made me feel better, like, you know, the heat of the sun coming mm. through and I love... Mm gardening and all that I do. And do you read and do you, you don't read but do you listen to the audiobooks of the books that you might have read? Uh, I would do yeah. I listen to a lot of radio and I love politics and I like your show, the debates and everything like that. Right. I don't watch I don't listen to television during the day cause, or anything like that. And can you cook and cope and, and do all your own oh, things? I do, I, I, I do all my own cooking and washing and ironing and everything like that you know. Good um, luck to you. Good luck to you. Michelle, I I stripped my bedroom hall landing and sitting on my paper and I enjoyed all that. I got paper on my house three years ago there, intimate, like all the rooms paper, but I stripped all off the old paper myself. Good for you, independent woman. Mind yourself, Marion, okay. stay in touch, stay listening, take care. Okay, now. Now. Show. Red FM. Lots of text on this one. I thought it woken up on April 1st listening to councillors defending the indefensible. Then I heard Dan Boyle's name. It all made sense. The Green Party, says Monica. Uh, you tell him. Now, now tell the Greens that the cycle lanes are ruining our cities. The Greens are gone mad. And they're led to carry on like this with our money. If it was their own, would they carry on with their harebrained schemes, says Ger Lee. Uh, any councillor who would make a flippant, flippant remark about €18,000 being a drop in the ocean, especially at a time when people are struggling to pay energy and food bills, should resign. Um, thank you for the clip from Hall's Pictorial Weekly, says Mary. Actually, I have more of those for you. Don't worry, don't worry about that. Um, when you look at the inner workings or the inner sanctum of uh, local government or politics, we never really know what goes on. On, um, behind closed doors. I mean, we do have public forums like like the council meetings. Uh, but when it gets down to the nitty gritty of actual government, I'd say it's a completely different world entirely. I gave you a bit of a satirical, satirical look at uh, Ballymagash Urban Town Council there recently. You couldn't make it up. I don't know how similar it would be to Cork City Council. Maybe I'm be called insulting to say something like this. But here's another one. This would be um, this would be Humphrey Appleby, who was the civil servant in Yes Prime Minister, uh, and uh, he was being quizzed about. The, I think the the clip regarding himself and uh, and the minister, the prime minister, had to do with the roof garden. Anyway, it doesn't really matter what it is. It'll explain itself. Here it is. Well, let's come to the roof garden. Yes, with pleasure. <laughs> This was a part of a wide variety of, of roof insulation schemes which the government was testing in the interest of fuel economy. But £75,000? Well, it was thought that the sale of flowers and vegetable produce might offset the cost. And did it? No. Then why not 
abandoned the garden. Well, it's there now, and um, it does insulate the roof, and we aren't building any more. <laughs> you wasted £75,000. Well, it was government policy to test all proposals for fuel saving. And this fantastic waste of the taxpayers' money, you agree the money was wasted? It's not for me to comment on government policy, Mr. <laughs> the Minister. Look, Sir Humphrey, whatever we ask the Minister, he says is an administrative question for you. And whatever we ask you, you say is a policy question for the Minister. Mm -hmm. How do you suggest we find out what's going on? Yes, 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 yes. I do see that there is a real dilemma here. In that, while it has been government policy to regard policy as the responsibility of ministers and administration as the responsibility of officials, the questions of administrative policy can cause confusion between the policy of administration and the administration's policy. Especially when responsibility for the administration of the policy of administration conflicts or overlaps with responsibility for the policy of the administration of policy. <laughs> That's a load of meaningless dribble, isn't it? It's not for me to comment on government policy, it's just the minister. Cork City Council Council meeting. <laughs> just all you got to do with that one is substitute the words roof garden with robo trees and it all makes sense doesn't it text 0868104106 and I'm far from finished with that just yet on the robo trees innovation Neil by its nature is a journey full of challenges and learning it's also important to make mistakes you know that is how we learn and we improve I worked in the private sector for many years and with high performance innovative companies I can tell you if we required trials we operated under NDA for a period with no charge to the trialling customer my point is innovators are not the council they purchased the products that were reported by UCC as not working stand up now people own your own mistakes councillors learn from your mistakes and move on yeah I mean there's no there's nothing wrong with being an innovator or you know trying things or trialling things but at this stage at this stage all I'm saying is the game is up Stop spending money. Stop, as they'd say in the old days, throwing good money after bad. Um, anyway, I'll come back to that. There are still a lot of texts and emails. And I want to talk with one or two other councillors this side of midday. But you know, I was talking to Marion there. She is unsighted. I thought she was visually impaired, but she actually is very, very unsighted. And talking about the obstacles and the issues she has to deal with when she goes out for a bit of a scove or a walk. That reminded me, actually, uh, of an email that I got from Tim Bracken recently on a friend of his who is actually blind. But rather than me tell the story, Tim joins me by phone. Tim, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How Thank are you? Thank you so much. Glad that you came on. It's nice to read emails, but better to chat. So this was a pal of yours who is unsighted, is it, Tim? He's unsighted, and it was this day last week. He, um, he, he, he doesn't have a dog at the moment because he's between dogs, you know what I mean? That is, they, it, you can't get a dog instantly to replace your last dog. But he had his white cane, and he was crossing the road there, uh, crossing, I'd say it's Patrick's Key, just by Burrow Bridge. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the pedestrian lights and he was waiting and, you know, the sound comes up, he knows from that. So as he crossed, he bumped into a car, which had obviously trespassed into the crossing and broken the red light. And instead of the driver wondering, was he all right, having bumped into the car, she got out and she started roaring at him that he had damaged her car. And why didn't he? And how? Why didn't effectively? Why didn't he look where he was going? And I mean, she ignored the fact that he was blind, and all she cared about was he might have damaged her car. Roaring at him, it was appalling. So he just said, "He says, look, you, your car was in the crossing. 
And she she was one of these belligerent type of people. He said, I'm not engaging with you. I'm just walking off. And as he was walking to the other side, she kept roaring at him. And then he heard people standing at the... He said, Madam, you're a disgrace. Yeah. And then he heard people standing on the pavement, chorusing, and they were saying, you're a disgrace. And he said, what? Me? No. Her. So it was good. She got her comeuppance. But I don't know if anybody had maybe dash cam footage or anything. She should be prosecuted because... But what she could she be prosecuted? Light. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, traffic well, For breaking a red light and going into the pedestrian crossing and, like, and, and stopping, not reversing out of it. And it was... I mean, because the pedestrian crossing is a certain width and, you know what I mean, it's designed so people with kind of sensory issues or people who can't see can cross because you know you have all those knobbly things on the on the page. That's right. You know, so they know you know, where to stand and where to walk. They know where they yeah. stand and exactly. They know exactly the dimensions of it. But her car was clearly in on the crossing, and that's why he bumped into. And her. do you really I mean, think that she didn't know that that gentleman was blind? Oh, she she, she had his cane. He had so his she she one hundred percent knew that. Yeah, she was just one of these very aggressive drivers which unfortunately seems to be the is on the increase you know the, the increase of road rage she, increase like, of she should have been so apologetic because actually in a worst case scenario he could have been injured he could have fallen and she'd find herself in big she'd be in big trouble then wouldn't she absolutely well I hope she's in big trouble if, if there was some dash cam footage that she somebody could make a complaint to the guards I mean because she, she, she broke a red light effectively she broke like a red light. Imagine if it was a, br- a red light that she broke while he was crossing exactly. the road. Can you imagine that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. or if or somebody somebody who was was blind crossing at a, a zebra crossing. They're not the actually zebra crossings aren't the best lit things I've ever come across. To be honest with you, and somebody mm. just continues to bowl through the red the zebra crossing and hits somebody completely. And I thought, well, I think zebra crossings are they're they're, they're the old fashioned zebra crossing is dangerous. It, particularly nowadays, with the aggression and the, the attitude of yeah. some drivers who yeah. just want to just plough through, you know. Yeah. I, I, I'm very nervous when I'm crossing on those. You know, you put your foot down and st- look left and you just make sure they know you're going to cross. There's no guarantee they'll stop anymore. No, absolutely not. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. not. So I, I, I've no confidence in them, whatever. But I mean, in this case, this was the a light-controlled pedestrian crossing just on the junction there by Brian Brew Bridge. And, um, but, like, she, she had obviously broken the red light and never... She should have reversed out of that position. You know what I mean? Tim, she should, she firstly, she is, yeah, firstly, she should have apologised. Like, you know, Completely. That's just manners and everything else after that then could be dealt with. But uh, are you, are, are, would you like to find somebody with dash cam from this day last week who I would cross that? I would, love, I would love it. No, I know. My friend... Didn't want to do anything about it. I said I was going to send you an email about yeah. it because I said this just underlines the aggression that's on the roads nowadays and the aggression that drivers have for what? Yeah, yeah. For what? I mean, I, and I mean, a person crossing on a pedestrian crossing that who bumps into a car will not damage a car, and all she wanted to scream at him about that he damaged her car. God, I wouldn't want to be living with her. I don't know what kind of a life she's living. I certainly wouldn't. I don't know what kind of a person she is. Okay, well, we're talking about last Tuesday on uh, Patrick's Key going over Brian Brewer Bridge. Perhaps somebody is listening that may have captured something. If they have, we'll be in touch. Yes.
Perfect. Thanks, Perfect. Tim. Take care. Text story 68104106. A lot of these, the Green Party say you have to take your chances with projects. It's very easy to take your chance when you're using other people's money. Des Cahill saying that €18,000 is a drop in the ocean. It shows their arrogance towards public funding at Cork City Council. As for the Christmas lights, it's about funding and safety. So the next time Cork wins the Sam Maguire or the Lee McCarthy Cup, or there are other big events similar to the turning on of the lights, will they be cancelled as well? They are very similar events. Good point. It's like the Monty Python sketch about buying the dead parrot, isn't it, Cork City Council? This is what these robot trees amount to, says Anthony. Actually, I don't have I don't have any sketch from Monty Python just yet, but I do have another few kind of like politically motivated clips for you. Uh, this is... Um, I, I can't follow this... To BH, um, and I know the last one I could follow because we're just substituting a roof garden with, say, for instance, uh, robo trees. But uh, Kevin, just intro this one. It's from the thick of it. That fabulous. Ah, uh, oh, I love that TV yeah, yeah. program. Who's, so the, who's much. the main man in that again? Uh, Peter Capaldi. He plays. Brilliant. I'm trying to think of the name of the character. I can't think of it. But he's supposed to be like a, a kind of a, um, a press sort of. Um, he's a handler. Yeah. Yeah, handler. Yeah, exactly. And he plays the role brilliantly. Um, so in this episode. Um, um, there's a couple there's a minister for uh, social affairs Fergus Williams is the name of the character and basically everyone's away from the office so Fergus decides he's going to have a brilliant idea to bring in this think tank they bring in this really attractive young um, economist and he kind of you know falls for her and she says well you should start a community bank and then all hell goes to a handcart and uh, in the middle of it and out of social embarrassment he says yeah that's a great idea yeah we, we can do that yeah that's a great idea and okay. now he has to go to uh, Peter Mannion who's the secretary of state played by Roger Allen and explain exactly what they've just agreed to. Okay, so all of this now, substitute everything there and insert robo-trees. Peter, I have a uh, a bit of news I should probably make you aware of. Yes, I do know, Fergus. A man with an amusing name has died. Uh, No, actually, it's that this morning I, well, I set up a, a community bank. What? You did what? You, you you set up a bank. I had a moment of weakness and they exploited it, like Hugh Grant. Yeah, well, we didn't really have much choice because it was all going to, to in a kettle here, so we had to get the economist out of the way. What, what are you talking about? What economist? Well, we were having a preliminary meeting when Phil started to crow. Glenn was having a meltdown. It was getting embarrassing. You bought a bank out of social embarrassment. I sometimes buy the big issue out of social embarrassment. I don't buy a bank. Oh. Peter, this is so us. Just wind back, right? Let's get this straight, just so I can deal with you two properly. How much is this bank? It was, well, two, two billion. billion. Sweet two billion. All right, don't need to yourself about it, because we're not buying it. Okay, it's funded by taxes. <gasps> oh, Sorry, great, the triple. I'm a nurse killer, a banker, and now I'm raising taxes. <laughs> Substitute the word robo-trees for every time you hear buying a bank. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. FM. Interesting text coming in there. It's quite lengthy. I'll read the whole thing out in a moment. But uh, I just mentioned this for fear I forget. It's suggesting that uh, Tim O'Reardon, the man who wrote the Langer song, uh, should uh, do a duet and come together with Jimmy Crowley and they could write a song on the robo-tree along the lines of uh, Tim O'Reardon's song the Langer and I also see that Harry Baby now have launched their own super duper in a beautiful red shade t-shirt it's called Attack of the Cork Killer Robot Trees and there they are cartoon versions of the trees looking like Daleks uh, from Doctor Who we're here to exterminate you like 
Uh, I'm quite sure that you can buy them. I'll see if they'll give me a few to give away. Uh, but hairy bacon, ba- hairy bacon, <laughs> hairy babies, <laughs> never remember slow uh, to get involved in anything happening on Side. So I'll make a nice Christmas gift, wouldn't it, for somebody, a stocking filler, a hairy baby T-shirt of the Robo Trees. Keep in comment, text 0868 There's a lot going on this morning. Some of it had to do, of course, with um, the switch on of the Christmas lights. They will be switched on, don't get me wrong, but there will be no family gathering. I'll talk to Ken Collins in a moment, but some texts on that. Even Middleton gets a light ceremony. Uh, so glad you're fighting this fight, Niall. It's a joke, no switch on of the lights, as it always was. Dublin, Limerick and Waterford can, and Killarney too. Stop making excuses, Neil. The Pride Parade in town, the Patrick's Day Parade wasted thousands on these stupid fake trees, but they're able to hold stupid marches for Palestine, uh, yet we can't hold a festival for the turning on of the lights rolled on the local elections. I don't know that you would call marches for Palestine stupid, but I know what you're saying. But at least they're moving, you see. If this were a, if this were a Christmas lights switch on uh, parade where everything was moving along, there wouldn't be as much of a problem. It's the staticness of it. Um, the Eucharistic procession, gone. The lighting of the Christmas trees, gone. I'm beginning to see a pattern on Leeside. Uh, somebody said, Richie says, somewhat tongue-in-cheek, tongue if we promised to wave Ukrainian and Palestinian flags, they probably would have allowed us hold this event and they probably would even televise it. The only health and safety issues were caused by the organisers and their metal barriers. And there's many more like that. Um, now, from, I know I talked to the CBA yesterday, Kevin O'Hurley they don't have any skin in the game here with regards to whether or not there should be a, um, a family switch on of the lights, but I did see um, in one quote here, Cork City Council's chief executive say that they had a meeting amongst the stakeholders not 100% sure what that means and who stakeholders are um, but I would imagine that if stakeholders were those who would have skin in the game that the businesses would be stakeholders. And that basis, the CBA possibly were consulted on the matter. I don't know. I mean, I'm just just thinking out loud. Um, I want to talk to Wayne Stanfield, who has a business in the city and wants to pick up on, particularly maybe the drop in the ocean comment by Des Cahill. Wayne, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Um, I'm, we're trying to speak to Des Cahill, and if I, if I manage to get to him, that's fine. If not, maybe we'll do it another day. He said that €18,000 is a drop in the ocean when it comes to City Council's full budget. I mean, I suppose if you were being, you know, right, he's, he's right. It is, it is small potatoes. doesn't mean it's right, though. Just that it's not, you know, I mean, they've cut other things. I mean... If if he's if they're saying fifty thousand a year to put up the lights, well, two years and you've paid for that. So, you know, and I and in the lights case, well, I, if you mind the pennies, the pounds there. will look after themselves. Well, yes, exactly. Age old cliche, but very true. Works in every business, you know. Um, so I, I I I really don't understand the logic of it. I mean, the only thing I will say for the for the the robot trees is they're a good demonstration of the fact that there needs to be more seat more. Um, street furniture for sitting on because that's what people do sit on them yeah well listen there's lots of people crying out in Cork who have businesses who make street furniture and seating furniture they do it in wood they do it in metal they do it in composite they do it in stone and they're the people to give that work for if you want seating this was not the object of it this was not why they were put there for people to just sit on no I mean it doesn't make any sense I mean you know and I know they say they've planted a thousand trees over the last 12 months 18 months or whatever it is but that money could have been used to plant more trees. I mean, if you walk down the Keys, um, um, Patrick's Key, 
there's about six trees on that quay, maybe seven trees on that whole quay, two up by Patrick's Bridge and then a few um, at the far end. Yeah, well, watch this space. Bus Bus Connect is coming along now and they're going to cut down loads and loads of perfectly healthy trees to make way for buses. I think for buses, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's great. I mean, but why not plant more trees? We must be the only city in the world that doesn't seem to have any interest in, in putting more green into the city. Anyway, the lights, you know? the lights issue um, has to do with public safety. Yeah, I mean, they're busy building a stage for something out the front of the um, in front of the opera house at the moment. Yeah, because and that's I'm that's sure going to be a key. No, but well. that that's because that's going to be a key location uh, for the Christmas festivities, Corkmas. And why why can they not use that then to launch the lights? I, I you know, I mean, the thing is, what has changed in the budget? Surely, at the beginning of the year, they must have set a budget for the year and would have set a budget for for um, lighting the Christmas lights. The decision not um, to have a family switch on of the lights happened after 2019. It was decided yeah, after last. 2019 that it would never happen again. Covid came along and parked all that stuff. Last year would have been the first year to have an opportunity to do it. But the decision was not made this year. They made it in 2020. Yeah. I mean, I, I, just, I just don't get it. I mean, we must be one of the few cities in the world that don't have... A light a turning on the light ceremony. There is a kind of a family day, and from from a retailer point of view, it was a nice kind of buzz on one particular day of the year. It gave a nice family feeling around the city for a very short period of time, and then it was gone. But it it gave a nice kind of buzz to the start of December and you know the start of shopping to people, you know. And I, I, from our point of view, I just I, Okay, from the point of view of the business community. Thanks, Wayne. I'm, I'm just moving ahead there, not rushing you, but I do want to get another few calls in. And uh, Ken Collins from Sinn Féin was on air yesterday morning. Uh, it was He was bringing it up at City Council last night, suspending um, you know, the order of business to get this on the agenda, and he did so, and he rejoins me again. Councillor, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you uh, good, good effort, but um, uh, you, you missed the goal. You missed. You went wide. I'm very, very disappointed this morning. Um, and I believe the people of Cork are very disappointed. And this, is, this was an executive decision um, made. And nobody in council was consulted in relation to this. I pointed that out last night. I'm, um, I'm pushing for an event to happen. And, you know, we don't have to corral people, Neil, into, into a small space. We can do this parade. We can we can get the you know get the opera house involved, get the everyman theatre involved, and get their characters out and have that type of a parade in Partridge Street and have the children meet all these uh, panto uh, characters. It's it's very very disappointing. The only thing is, I got a commitment last night that there will a workshop will take place in January for Christmas of next year. Um, but again, it, it, it was an executive decision to water down something that's tradition years, decades, decades and decades old. Okay. Now, just just a few questions for you on this. Uh, it, it said by the Chief Executive, uh, Anne Doherty, that they had safety concerns regarding crowd crushing and difficulties in facilitating emergency access should it be necessary. You could say that about anything with regards to emergency access. You can plan for all that. The crowd crushing, of course, were the metal barriers that they corralled people in with. If they weren't there, there wouldn't have been crowd crushing because people could have just moved away down the side streets. But she said that they, um, that they had meetings with stakeholders. What, what do, who are stakeholders? I believe on Gordon Shikana. Um I the thing she did mention Cork Business Association uh and the ambulance service. 
So is no. it the guards and the ambulance service that are to blame for this then? Yeah, that's what was said last night. You know, I, uh, which so I, the guards I they're saying the guardies said that we couldn't have a family switch on then. They were the they were the stakeholders that were uh, mentioned last night. Okay, okay. Um, but again, we don't have to put up the metal barriers. We're, we're on an island. We we we've a, we've a fantastic theatre that we can use as a stage that people can walk freely around the whole city and just enjoy the magic of Christmas. You know, and you'd be you'd be wondering like years and years ago. I'm from I'm from Galway, and my mother. You know, she, she was bringing us down Shannon Street and you see the Norman Street, the old tinsel um, decorations. Like, I still have those memories. It's about making memories too for your family. And, you know, you don't know what's going to happen next week and what's going to happen next month if a parent or a grandparent passes away and you don't have that memory of the switching on the light. So I just think, you know, it's out of order with the, the, the executives. It's wrong wrong in all parts and maybe the court people should go in and on the 8th of December the tradition day that the farmers went in and just did their own kind of thing I don't know as a protest back to Cork City Council to say we want something here you know Okay what I'm just I've been just trying to find out I know I should know but I, I don't know what day or evening will the lights actually themselves be turned on I mean the, I'm talking about the Patrick Street ones now um, I don't know. I know Cockmas was only announced last week. And, you know, if you Google last week, um, Christmas in, in Cork, something exciting is coming, is coming. So I don't know when the lights are being switched on, and that's truthful. Okay. Uh, would it be November 18th? I don't know, Neil. I, I, I'd be only making up the date. So it's sometime next you know. week. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But look, we again, um, I just think, you know, as people in Cork, we should be standing up here and saying enough is enough. Cork people like tradition. It's like the spiced beef. It's like Christmas. They want it, and it's, it's it'll have to happen from next year. Now, okay. and you know, yeah, it says twenty twenty three. All eyes, yeah, all eyes will be on Emmet Place. Breaking from previous years, this winter we'll see an all new magical immersive light experience in the public plaza of Emmet Place. Unique appeal for all ages, and they're switching them on on the uh, where's that second date gone? They're switching them on on Saturday, November eighteenth. It will herald the beginning of the busy Christmas shopping period. Doing lots of different pop up events. They got a big, huge uh, thirty meter wheel returning to the Grand Parade as well. That would be maybe part of uh, Glow, I suppose. So what they're doing on Emmet Place is they're having some kind of a light switch on there. And the city centre's traditional lights and Christmas tree will be turned on next week as part of of, um, of Corkmas, as you say, on Saturday, November 18th. It doesn't even say what time. Yeah, yeah. It's very disappointing. It's very badly advertised. And, you know, it's it's something now that obviously it was put to me last night. It's too, it's too late to come out for Christmas this year. But I, I submitted a motion last night during the council meeting for Christmas of next year that it will happen and a public event will happen next year and I got a commitment that a workshop will take place in January and I want children involved in this as well because you know it's all about the children and their experience of Christmas and how they'll grow up telling the stories of this is what happened in Cork at Christmas when I was a child not oh you went in and the lights were on it's, 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 it's not good enough 
But it's it's caused it's caused it's created a fear now that if anything ever does happen or somebody gets hurt at an event like this in the future, if it's brought back, they'll be pointing fingers at the likes of maybe you or me or the people who wanted it, and they'll be saying, "Well, we told you so." Something like this would happen. So I think maybe it's that 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 uh, that boat has sailed now. Um, do you not think? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. The, the will of the people want it, and I think they should be listened to. Okay. The whole okay. This and, and, you know, don't put up the barriers. Allow a, a, a trail into the whole city and, and have the street vendors there, have the entertainers there, and have the children enjoy Christmas. Right. Um, I'll do some more on this. Before I let you go, you were also at the same meeting that dealt with the, um, with the robo-trees, I believe, yeah? Yes, another executive decision that was made. Neil, I'm up in the northwest of the city, John F. Conley Road, for instance. You have bollards, 300 bollards coming from St. Vincent's GA pitch all the way around up to Castleview, where children have to walk on a road where you you waste disposal companies up there with big trucks. That money could have been spent to take away these bollards and up, updating the, the upgrading the lights. That's where that money should have been spent instead of these these robot trees or moss walls it's it's disgraceful was there a again, vote was there there wasn't actually a vote on this or anything last night as to because no. that but somebody has decided to hold on to them uh, um, and to continue to pay the maintenance maintenance on them when we know that they have there's no consistent evidence that it does anything to improve air um what are your thoughts on that? Came, it's inconclusive so i mean like they're a waste of time they're they're actually a bit of a nice or being honest i i don't like them um, and I, I think they should be removed. My own personal opinion, removed straight away. And you know, this thing that oh, it's eighteen thousand. Eighteen thousand would get two two houses adapted for elderly. You know, it would it would get windows in a house. It, 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 uh, even though it's probably a different budget, but I'm giving examples. But that money could have been spent. What I just spoke about in John F. Connolly Road, because it was stimulus for uh, July stimulus. You know, to so back, to, back to say COVID. to say that. Um, as Des Casa, the 18,000 annual maintenance is a drop in the ocean of Cork City's budget. Um, That's typical of Fine Gael. Wh- why? You know, it's only 18,000. Sure, we'll move on. And, you know, we made a mistake. We'll, we'll, we'll head away. And then you had Fianna Fáil across the chamber saying that, oh, it was, you know, the, the media are doing this and the social media. It's their own former Lord Mayor, Colin Keller, is the one that raised this. And rightly so. Because they, they, they didn't work, it was a waste of money, and they were bought and uh, on a whim. So again, I just think they should be removed. Okay, all right, appreciate that, Ken Collins. Much obliged to you. Text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Pick up the phone on oh eight one eight one zero four one zero six to Ger- I'll Take a break. Geraldine standing by. Cork's biggest conversation is here. The Neil Brenderville Show is on Cork's Red FM. Interesting text there talking about the things that are allowed and somebody made the point that they're allowed silly protests and marches for things like Palestine. I, I just uh, can't get that out of my head because I was seeing earlier on this morning that there are mass graves now being dug um, outside of uh, Gaza hospitals to bury the dead. That's how bad things have got there. It goes from bad to worse. Uh, text 0868104106. You're wondering why uh, the likes of Michael Healy Ray would talk about more asylum seekers. There's a guest house in Killarney, Neil, taking in 70 male asylum seekers that nobody knows anything about. They saw in Killarney what happens with regards to stabbing, stabbings, abuse, and following girls around town. Killarney is an amazing town and one of the best places in Ireland for scenery, food, and nights out. But they don't need the likes of these men wrecking their beautiful town 
send them all home, says James, and that's what Michael or Danny Healy Ray was probably implying. Um, he's following up on something that I said in the newspaper review this morning. Anyway, let's let's just get a couple of calls this side of uh, midday. Geraldine, good morning. Hello, how are you? Okay, so I was talking about Killarney and you're talking about Dublin, Killarney, Kilkenny, Waterford, Limerick. You asked the question, what do they have that Cork doesn't have? Exactly. I mean, this is an annual event. So they have known about this since Christmas last year. And I just personally think that, you know, people are struggling. People are just about keeping their head above water and especially people with young families like this is an occasion for them to gather their family and their friends together go to town be it by bus or whatever or walk and just forget about their worries for a couple of hours Yeah. and the council or whoever decided that this wasn't going to happen is basically they're basically telling them it's not happening and it's just one more disappointment I, I get very confused as to what's happening. One minute I'm told that there's a big Ferris wheel going on to the Grand Parade. Then I read another article from the Examiner which says, for instance, that um, uh, the light display at Bishop Lucy Park will not be set up this year due to construction, but Cork is getting a new Christmas centrepiece um, called Solace. And apparently Solace is, being, is, is going up on Emmet Place. So we've got Emmet Place. Is that replacing the Grand Parade or what's going on or, you know, even trying to find out what time and what day that the lights come on. There seems to be no kind of joined up thinking. Do you know what I mean? No, absolutely not. And I just don't understand why. Like, I didn't realise the lights were supposed to be going on this weekend because a friend of mine was saying it to me. But like, why are they waiting to the 11th hour to tell people that it's not happening? Yeah, Saturday. They're spending money money willy-nilly on stupid things and what they need to be doing is they need to be bringing the people into the city, the local people, the court people, not the the tours that are coming from all over the world for the Jazz Weekend. They need to be concentrating on the ordinary Joe Soap. Yeah, but they do want the ordinary Joe Soap to come into the city, but they just don't want them all to come in at the same time to watch the lights being turned on. You made a very good point there the other day and you said that how they, they, they cornered off all the they blocked off all the side streets. Yeah. Like, that's a ridiculous idea, first of all. I thought it was and dangerous, all, but I'm not involved in security. All, all those streets, all those side streets have businesses on them. That if you wanted to get down to them, you had to go all the way around to the city. Grand Parade. To get back down yeah. to those streets. And all those, all those businesses depend on the likes of something like this that will bring people into town. Listen, I can't argue with anything you're saying. I don't know. It's illogical to me, but I don't want to be the one to blame then if we push for this and somebody does get hurt and that's inevitably what they would say. They blame the media. They would like, oh no, somebody got crushed or somebody got a broken arm. Blame the media. We never want to do it. Like if they're able to do it in other cities in Ireland, why they can't do it here? And I just do think, I think that at the end of the day, you know, I mean, like they have all these festivals around the country and yet they can't organise something like this. You know, it's on on the scale of the Jazz Weekend. This is a quite a small event, but it means a lot to a lot of people out there. And I think well, Ken Collins is right. It's own. about making memories as well for children, Absolutely. isn't it? Like they did years ago Absolutely. when he was small. Yeah. 
All right, thanks for that, Geraldine. Last word this morning goes to the great George Jeffries, who wants to tell us that Mum Kitty is now officially the oldest person in Ireland, the age of 109. I don't. I think this isn't the first time we spoke, actually. George, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm delighted yeah. to catch. We we spoke before about the great Kitty Jeffrey, didn't we? Yes, indeed, uh, we did. Um, I think she was the second oldest at the time. But, uh, she's now officially, anyway, the, the oldest person. Um, the, the oldest person passed away a, a couple of weeks ago, and we are ex- extend my sympathies to totally, our family. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. So on Sunday, anyway, we uh, celebrated her uh, 109th birthday. Born in Glenville, North Cork, 1914, the outbreak of the Great War. That is it, yes, my and. Uh, Mother often said it to her that her mother would kind of look at her when she was, spoke about the First World War. Is it just her, her she was responsible for starting this, you know? Yeah, 1940, yeah, the year of the First World War. I wonder what, I wonder what is Kitty's earliest memory? Did you ever ask her that? Um, oh, I suppose going to school, or, or, I'd say, would probably be her earliest memory. Um, she had a very happy childhood. The where she was living actually was in a quadrangle in the domain in Glenville, and there were people living there uh, as well as herself. And uh, there was the grooms and the parlour maid and all that sort of thing. And uh, so she, they were being her. They were her extended family. So. What are you What are you saying to me that she grew up around on the estate of the Hoy Palloy, Is it? Uh, in the main, the main actually situation in Glenville Village. What is There's that? A house there. A big house. Sorry, it's a big house, is it? Well, fairly big, not that, but fairly big. Uh, and um, her father, as you know, then was managing the the farm, and right. so therefore they were all lived on site. So and they had parlour maids and cooks and members. cleaners and housekeepers and butlers and all that kind of thing. And that's, that's right, the kind yeah. of that's the kind of world that she was born into, like Downton Abbey kind of stuff. That is it, yeah, but she didn't live in the house renting. They never had anything to do with the house. Her father uh, ran employed the farm. Yeah, employed there, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I imagine her earliest memories would have been all of that, going to school. Probably the War of Independence, Civil War. Definitely the Civil War. She never spoke much about the War of Independence, only that uh, there was a British soldier rode in and he was, they were looking for some of the lads that were on the run, I presume. And uh, she remembers saying that I think her mother came out Anyway, and said that there's no one here, and he just turned around and went off. That was the only reference she ever made to the to the War, war of, of Independence. Independence. But yeah. she would remember all right, the Civil War for pretty well, all right. And um, even it was featured there recently the burning of uh, Mrs. Stone Castle. She yeah. has certainly would remember that wow. because her aunt lived actually just a short distance from the castle. The lads said the lads were telling me before he came on air that it, she also would have vivid, vivid memories of Michael Collins being shot. Oh yes, well, this, well he was shot in nineteen oh god, twenty two. No, later than that, was it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, she, anyway, she remembers it anyway very well. Yeah, she'd have been uh, eight at, years at old. At that time, yeah, to do the height of the Civil War, she often spoke about that, and there were dreadful times. And, um, you know, she, even around her own area there, Glenville carried Nevada, just was pretty, pretty hot. But uh, it's all settled down then, and, you know, and people moved on. I yeah. think people at that stage were very anxious to move on yeah. and, and um, get on with their life, you know. And tell, and tell me, what's, what was the, what's the secret to her long life? Um, well, she was always very healthy. Um, her, on her mother's side, her 
uncles and her cousins, her first cousins, the Mills family, they all lived to be good ages, so I, I think the genes came from that side of the in family the genes, rather than yeah. the fancy side. Yeah. But she also came from a stock that ate very healthy food, didn't they? And they ate what we now term to be organic food, but it was all they knew. Do you know what I mean? And that was getting into her into her genes as well and into her into her system. Good, clean, honest food. That is correct, because when we took back uh, her to her home place about 10 years ago, and she often spoke about Auntie Kate keeping the garden and she she knew where the garden was and everything. She remembered her visit back there as it was yesterday, you know, to to point out everything. When did you when when did she marry? Um late nineteen forties, I think it was, yeah. Okay. But she but 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 your grandfather would be predeceased, I imagine, at this stage. Oh yes, he died. Um, he died in the twenties, and um, they had to leave Glenville then and move to Cork City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And those days, and the same issue as this is, happens today. It happens in housing. They found it very difficult to get a house, and she could uh, name all the streets in Cork City for the simple reason that she walked every one of them. She said, looking for a house to to live in with your dad. No, no, with her mother. Before, okay, before she married him and settled down with Oh, yes, yeah, she was only in her teens when she left Glenville. And, did and they, what did uh, they find then? Did they find a little flat or a little apartment in the city or what? They found a house and um, and then they got a better house after that and um, her mother took in lodgers and her mother then went to, to work um, in, in Cork and um, her brother Bill was working in Musgraves. Wow. Where did she meet your dad then, Kitty? At a dance Somewhere in Cork, and I don't remember where. There was many of them back in the day, and many kids besides yourself. Uh, three. There must be a lot of grandchildren and great grandchildren and extended family, all from Kitty Jeffrey, though. I'd say, would there be? Not from well, yeah, they would be, yes, but oddly enough, um, there's a lot actually on the Jeffrey side. I've about forty-five first cousins, <laughs> and fifteen of them actually turned up and. Um, on last Sunday just to say hello and, and how did the party go did you have a uh, cake and celebrate like that oh we did indeed we had a big cake and uh, we sang happy birthday and all that and they all went up to visit you know in their twos and trees up upstairs to, to our bedroom to just to say hello you know and uh, they were all remarked how well she looked so um, and how yeah, does she feel about did you have a conversation so how does she feel about the fact that she's Ireland's oldest person she just couldn't, couldn't <laughs> she couldn't take it in, I'd say for a while, but you never, never, I'm not that old, am I? <laughs> That's what she said. I'm only 107 or so. No, you're 109. <laughs> <laughs> well, she can remember, all right, her date, it's at November 1914, and all that, so, you know, um, oh she just can't imagine that she never expected to live as long as she did it. It's yeah? an amazing, I often think of somebody, say, 109 years old, because she would have sat on the lap of somebody who lived through the Irish famine. It's bizarre, isn't it? Oh, yes, she would indeed. Yeah, She remembers her granny well and um, uh, granny Mills. And, um, yeah, they, they would have. And the, the Clancy family actually emigrated to Australia and um, because, basically, there was nothing here in this country for them. And uh, But her father and her, who was the youngest in the family, and the eldest daughter, Auntie Kate, came back because they, the, the, climate, the climate over there was just too hot. Yeah, so yeah. So he came back to Glenville then, and she came back then to do housekeeping for her, Auntie Kate. 
So that's how they arrived in Glenville. And does Kitty Jeffrey give you any advice as to how, you know, you should live a happy and long life, I wonder? Oh, it's, it's what you said yourself, plain eat food and, and all that. Uh, she would only drink occasionally. She never smoked, you know, but she was always plain food, home-cooked food. Amazing story. Listen, it's just yeah. great to catch up again as we celebrate Kitty Jeffrey as Ireland's oldest person. Happy, hail and hearty down in Cloyne, I believe, isn't it, George? That, that's it, yeah. Right. Well, tell yeah. her tell her that all of us were thinking of her and wishing her a belated happy 109th birthday. <laughs> Thank you very much. Stay in touch, Pat. Stay in touch. All the best. Okay. Wish you had more time. Lines will stay open on 0868 104 106 by text. You can always email if you have a story to share, Neil at redfm.ie. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.